episode 141 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64 last week. We looked at our first batch of games from issue 57 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were grabbed by the ghouls and ghosts, meandered in the moribund Moonwalker, and sought out the treasure in the snappy snare. This week, We conclude our look at the games in January 1990, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, is the new decade starting to deliver a wealth of new goodness, or are we still wading through the molasses of the past? In this old arcade feel, but not necessarily driven, crammed full of quality episode, we upgrade everything but our kitchen sinks and kill everything in the exciting world of retrograde, flap across a crappy world dropping poop parcels in the abysmal dragon spirit, and confuse everyone with our crappy joystick drawings in the awful Pictionary. Just when you think the C64 soup can't taste worse, we add a whole load of fish juice. Mmm. As if all that retrograde aside, bum biscuits wasn't enough to pollute your afternoon tea, we then delve into the wacky world of Bangler and Mulk. Yes, that's what passes for 90s nonsense in the utterly confusing Ninja Warriors. We take a nosedive into the meatball-headed utter stupidity of the terribly dire Double Dragon before finally taking a rest and just double-checking the Zap review and wondering where the 12 crappy days have been spent with the that screenshot ain't the same cacola of Operation Thunderbolt. Arcade conversions are thick and fast. I could insert a horrific ball-based joke in here right now, but I won't. Some of these games are stupid, and some are crap, and some are both. Let's just explore this together. Well, we'll just have to find out, won't we, in an exciting show that we like to call Finding Out Store. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, yeah, it is. It's what it's about. It's what it's all about. That's the thing. That's the, that's the thing. It is what it's all about. So, um, yeah, you know, it's a new decade still. feels weird. It feels weird. There's always you know, hope. There's always hope. I was, I, I was thinking, I felt like the Christmas break we had and the Breadbin Awards, and in fact, it was over Christmas and stuff. I was like, I was like, I felt like we were at um, Rivendell in Lord of the Rings, <laughs> and now we've left. <laughs> we had a nice we had a nice sojourn into Rivendell, and now we've left, <laughs> and we're on our way to the mines of Moria, where bad things happen. <laughs> Lots of bad things happen, yeah. We're going to meet Balrog, all right? I think we may very well do, yeah. It's in the, <laughs> yeah, who knows? But that's what I feel like at the moment. Anything you want to say for this week? It's been a strange... No. It's been a strange old week, um, busy week, and just, I don't know. I mean, it's a bit of a mixed bag. It's not the, it's not how I expected 1990 to start. Well, it is and it isn't. There's, it's not the surprises that come along. It's just the continuation of the formula. And then, of course, the, and of course, in this particular episode, there's one, you know, one particular thing which we'll probably talk about when we come to it, which is quite interesting. Absolutely. So. It is um, arcade port heavy this week. It's been like that for the past episode, wasn't it? <laughs> past, we seem to have got a, somewhere, somehow, somebody just decided to convert everything. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, there was only there was only one last week, but there's sixty six percent of this week is uh, arcade ports. It's more than enough for the likes of us. It is. That's true. But there's only one original game. One really? original. Because well, yeah, because the other ones are um, is a board version game. Of well, a version of a version. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you're it's right. a board game. So let's just get into it. Should we get into it? Let's just yeah, get let's on. go for it. Let's go for it. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's do this and let's get into our first game. And well, that first game is Retrograde. Retrograde. That's £9.99 to you. And 94%. This was a sizzler. A sizzler, this was. Okay. Sizzles. Um, it sizzles. It's another game from Thalamus. Following on from last week's excellent snare, can Retrograde carry on the level of quality we saw with that game? A lot of credits on this one. This is developed by Apex Computer Productions and produced by Transmission Software. The coders here are John Rowlands and Rob Ellis. And the visuals, loading screen, and music are all by Steve Rowlands. Now, obviously, these Rowlands are a talented pair. Between them, they worked on that Scorpius, which was that was that never-ending shooter we saw ages ago where you collected the letters, which is all right for a budget shooter. It was pretty good. They also did Cyberdyne Warrior. We've got that coming this year. But okay. they also did the very highly regarded Creatures 1, 2, and Mayhem in Monsterland. Okay, which mm, I know, know what they're doing then. Know yeah, what they're doing. Know the, 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 so technically I know this. So I'm expecting decent things. We'll see. The story, so that's that's them. The story to this, there's always a story. It's uh, Thalamus though, so not System 3. So it's not nonsense, just uh, overblown nonsense, Mark Kale nonsense. <laughs> um, but there is an <laughs> eight, odd eight one. Pages. It goes like this. A contest has developed between seven evilly gross and ugly despots in the universe, each to invade the most planets within a chosen system. The Thwok system is now targeted for takeover and seven seven of its planets have already been conquered. Now your home planet, Tum, is under threat. Hardened battle veteran and bounty hunter, you volunteer for action. A dose of mayhem will make a pleasant change. You vow to destroy the aliens and their seven nerve centres. Your objective is to kill all the nerve centres and save Tum but they're located deep in the core of each planet and can only be engaged once the planet is destroyed. You must set charges around each protective core, destroy the planet, and then fight the hideously twisted nerve centers. An easy task, were it not for the vast number of alien forces commanded by the nerve centers trying to wipe you out above and below ground. Fortunately, dying aliens often deposit diamond crystals easily converted to Ara, the local currency, or planet blast, planet busters, essential to destroy the conquered worlds, and sometimes shields, to protect you from limited amounts of hits. Ara and shields are left in the air, planet busters on the ground. That's it. That's your story. Not too bad. Nice and simple. Kind of gives you a feeling of what you've got to do. Blow yeah, stuff it's, up. Not, it's not over the top, is it? Generally speaking, that's pretty damn good. So what does all this amount to? If you want a blaster on the machine, then I'm not sure they come much more blastier than this. But if there's a blaster rating, then this is at the top. This will destroy your thumb, unless you have a joystick on auto, <laughs> with an auto fire, I guess. But yeah, this is, gonna, this is a proper thumb breaker. It's a blisterer, isn't it? It's a, it's a thumb blisterer. Yeah, this is just an out-and-out shooter with a side order of punching, but we'll get to that yeah. in a bit. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I played both a disc crack and an easy flash cart version, and it all worked just a bit slower loading. Not terrible, but okay. For the main chunk, I played the flash version, which made it for a much smoother overall experience. Very quick, very fast, that was. So as the game loads, we get a very nice title screen, and you, you shows our jet-packed hero. He's firing his laser, and it's a really nice piece of music as well. Um, in fact, there's a suite of music throughout this. I'd say this is a very good offering. Variety of quality tunes throughout. 
I think um, Steve Rollins has done a very decent job on the sound here. Like Snare last week, this is an immaculate presented game. And once we get to the title screen, this continues with some great demo style effects on the logo of the game with cycling colour bars playing off against each other. I really like the way the logo starts in black and then the colours sort of fade in through it. And it's on mm. that coloured background as well. And all the sort of scrolling across the bottom with the high score table and the credits and everything. It's great. The music here is also excellent. Really nice piece. Solid, dark, and moody piece. I'm not sure it feels like it, but I'm not sure it fits totally. Mm. It it feels a bit more like it should have been for a fighter of some sort. It felt like a fighting game piece of music. I don't know just what it was, but but rather than an arcade sci-fi blaster. But whatever, it's a good piece of music. Um, And the opening impressions here are positive. Stab at the fire button, and we're into the game proper now. And the easy flash version, you're just straight in. There's no messing about here. Um, And even on the disc version, you are are as well. It is a multi-load disc, but it loads in the first level with the title screen so that's always good you don't have to wait for anything maybe the only thing i would say here is that i would have liked maybe just a bit of an intro to just ease me in because <laughs> you press fire and it's like go go <laughs> it's like okay better start shooting because you just got to set your controls to blast because you're going to be doing that a lot the screen layout is mostly game i guess there's just a character line at the top that shows your score your present health represented by five diminishing bars that deplete from right to left the number of lives you have left and finally the amount of aura you have collected a little A icon next to that. It tells you that's the Aura amount. That changes, though. The visuals here are medium res, but have a very nice style to them. Uh, some great shading. And the game, I thought the game resembled Drop Zone quite a lot from the outset. It's, sort of, it's controlling a jetpacky man. There's stuff um, flying all around the place, and you're shooting stuff. It's like Drop Zone. Your guy floats in the middle of the screen. At the bottom, there's a scrolling, looping landscape made up in level one of buildings, and there's a sunset-style backdrop. It's a nice parallax scrolling effect as you start to move. All good, all fast and smooth. The game plays out against a black background with just some random, random twinkling stars, and as soon as it starts, enemies just fly in from either side. Just everything. It's just enemies, and they're waiting to be blasted. On level one, the enemies take various shapes, from Zenon-style rotating squares to other little jetpack people to people flying on motorbikes and random shapes and all kinds of stuff. Your job here to start with is just to blast everything. Just get that message. Shoot, um, and try and avoid contact with anything, as this will lower your health bar. As you play, you can. there's a really nice, some really nice touch to this. As you play, you can hear your heartbeat at all times. And the lower your health gets, the faster it beats. And also your character starts flashing, signaling you are near losing a life, which is some great feedback, both orally and visually, to let you know what's going on. Controls are simple enough, with eight-way movement and fire to shoot. That's it, really. When you shoot and kill anything, they will invariably drop a crystal, which you need to pick up as these increase your aura, and you'll need this to upgrade your weapons and amongst doing and do other stuff with it as well. There's other stuff to spend your aura on. Along the floor, there are creatures walking about, and if you fly close to the floor and pull down and press fire, you will land and start walking. Here, you can move left and right, and fire does a punch, which you can use to destroy the things on the floor. You have to punch them a few times. Again, it's very fast. It will punch as fast as you can press the fire button. None of this Nambi Pampi slow punching. It's like, it's punching. You do not collect aura from them, though, um, but there's a reason you'll need to do this. You've got to go down to the to the to the lower uh, bar for, for a reason. I'll come to that in a bit. If you press up and fire, then it launches you back in the air to start blasting again, collecting hour and stuff. Most of the buildings along the bottom, well, they're just for show. It's just graphics, and they're nice, but it's just graphics. But there are some you can actually interact with. And the first of these, which you see when you start the game, right at the bottom, you'll see the shop. There's a shop on each level, and if you land on the ground, then walk up to the opening and pull down and press fire again. You can enter the shop, and here you can upgrade your flying weapons, your ground punch, and even buy a planet buster. But more of that in a bit. When you select flying weapons and then buy, this takes you to the buy weapon screen. So it's, this is quite nicely laid out. On the first level, you only have access to shot and radian. 
Um, although you can see that there are further 10 weapons and then they are not open to you yet. So they're all they're sort of grayed out. You can't use them. Those extra weapons, they are Super Shot, Quad, Triple, Atomizer, Fireball, Zenith, Diverger, Spread, Power Bolt, and Laser Gun. So these are listed in the center of the screen, but only Shot, like I said, and Radiant are in white. They're the only two that are open, uh, op- open to you. On the right of the screen is a close-up of your character, and around them are 16 arrows where you can place certain weapons. Selecting shot makes the arrows to the left and right of you turn yellow, indicating you can have a basic shot both in front and behind you. On the left of the screen um, is a list of the arrows, is a list of the arrows, so you can see which arrows equate to what and what weapon you've got in what. And when you start, only most of them just stay empty, aside from one pointing to the right, which says shot, because that's the only weapon you have when you start the game. It's basically you can shoot to the right or you know which way you're facing. Mm-hmm. So the bottom of this is a list of the number of points you also have available to place new weapons. Each weapon co- costs a different amount of points. The more powerful they are, the more points they cost, and you've only got a certain amount. So alongside the word shot, you'll see the number. Of, you know, you'll see the number one so in that list is shot and it's to the right and it'll say number one this is the power level of that individual weapon so if you select radian though then eight of the arrows will light up on the right along with their corresponding place in the list on the left if you have enough aura you can buy a radian shot for any of the arrows and you can buy whichever ones you want so for example if you want to have a forward facing spread nothing behind you fine just buy those so you just buy those four that are facing frontwards. If you want to play a game where you fly as low as possible and shoot upwards, fine. Just buy the ones at the top, buy those. It's completely up to you. It's absolutely 100% open how you want to upgrade your weapons in this. So the choice is up to you. And when you go back into the game, that's the weaponry you'll have. So once you go out, what you've spent on, you'll start shooting in those directions or with that power. Every time you buy a new weapon, um, it uses up one of your free points that are on the bottom of the list on the left. Like I said, so you cannot have every point filled with a gun. You need to think about what you want and what style of blasting you want to be doing. The shots and all your all the weapons can be upgraded as well. So if you have like the like I said, if you've got the shot and that's going to the right at the moment when you first start, if you click on that and then click on it again, it'll go to power level two and then power level three. These are replicated in game; they're shown in game, um, and they increase the power and they do more damage. So that's quite good. Shots can be the shots back and forth because you can have one going forward and backwards they can be level up to power four um and they sort of have this little sort of arc graphic you know the sort of two bullets three bullets and this little arc and they do much more power much more damage at level four the radian points can be upgraded to 10 um and they sort of fire off whichever direction you picked like i said there's eight directions they can pick and you can i think most you can get at this point is up to you could do all eight i think if you don't have a backward shot um and that's how many points as you can have so as you start to build these up, you very quickly become a, like a just a death-wielding nightmare, which is really enjoyable. You're just blasting. There's so much firepower. It's just incredible. You can also sell your weapons um, if you're not happy with them, and you sell them at each level. So it's not just one and they're gone. If you're at level four, then you have to sell, knock them all down, and you get money for each level. A lot less money than it took to actually upgrade them, but that's the nature of these games, isn't it? Um, and you're going to need to because... Um, as you progress from level to level, of which there are seven, then your previous level's weapons simply won't cut it on the new level. The the enemies take more more damage. So you need to dispose of them to get points back to buy the more powerful ones because more powerful ones become open. So on level two, you get access to the super shot and the quad. Super shot is like an upgraded shot and the quad is like an, doesn't fire in as many directions, but it's like an upgraded uh, radiant shot. But they cost more money, more aura, 
And so there's this loop of selling your weapons, moving on, getting the ones, powering up the weapons for that level and blasting through. And that's what this is all about. Um, it's a really good system um, and encourages you to always be upgrading to new toys as you get further into the game because you want those more powerful ones because they do more damage to the later levels and the bosses and everything like that. Um, and you can also power up your power fist. Um, but again, you can only do this on later levels. You can It'll sort of one at a time. And you need to um, upgrade that because... Um, of what you actually need to do with that power fist, and I'll come to that now. Back into level and on the ground, you'll see some locked doors along the bottom. So this, as you notice, now, you'll see these yellow locked doors. So to open these, you've got to walk along the floor, and you find you've got to find the right alien. There's aliens walking about. You've got to punch the right one and kill them. Um, and if you kill them, they will drop uh, a planet buster. It's a bit arbitrary. This I was never quite clear which alien to kill. I think on the first level it's clear, but on the second one it won't. When you do kill the right one, they'll kill. They'll drop the planet buster or a charge. So if you take this, so the arrow icon on the UI will change to a little star at this point, and you head back to the shop. So what you've got to do here is for 500 arrow, you can buy a planet buster. Once you do, then one of the doors outside will open. Okay, So you fly to that, go down to it, mm-hmm. press down a fire, and enter it. And then the, the game changes at this point into like a downward-scrolling platformer. It does which is quite interesting. So you're all walking, but this is platform. So the controls here are, you know, when you're on the floor, so here you can you can jump as well. So up is now jump. Fire is uh, do the punch and left and right um, moves you. You've got to make your way all the way down to the bottom through these sort of very nicely drawn levels. There's enemies dotted about. You've got to kind of punch them to kill them. Try not to take as much damage as you can. When you get to the bottom, um, there's usually a creature down there it's ran, sort of some creatures and they grow in size as you go on and you've got to punch them and kill them and when you do that that sets the charge and you walk back out to the playing field in the first level there are two doors so you've got to do this twice so you have to kill find the two enemies along the bottom i think it takes mm-hmm. a little bit of time you can't just do it at once no. um, it takes a little bit of time for the uh, the enemy to sort of spawn with the with the planet or the charge to get the planet buster so you kind of kind of it's encouraging you just to go around and blast crap and get arrow and power your weapons up and i think there's a little sound effects um because there's loads of little sound effects pinging off and i think one of them is actually to tell you that there's an alien there to go and kill to get mm. the charge I'm not entirely clear on this because it doesn't say in the instructions, but I think that's what it is. Eventually they will, though. And as you progress to later levels, you will need to upgrade your power fist in order to kill them because on the second level, one of them is hidden behind a rock and only the second level power fist will destroy it. So again, you need Aura, power fist, 500. You've got to keep, it's a loop. You've got to keep upgrading. This game needs you to keep upgrading. It wants you to keep doing it. So once you've completed all the downward sections, there's two in that first level. You've got down to the bottom. You planted two planet busters. Then you'd be warped to the boss of the level, which you've got to take out. On, on level one, the first of these, it's like a large sort of tall spaceship type thing. And it's got its guns at the top and bottom. You've got to take those out and then you can blast it in the middle and then blast it again in the middle and it blows it up. And then you, you take out the core and it, then it's destroyed and you move on to level two. Second uh, on level two, the end boss here is like a strange plant-like creature with lizards on it, which need to be taken out before shooting like the heart thing. Level three is another floating spaceship needs to be blasted. Now we're not going to spoil the rest, but the unique and offer a decent challenge. You've got to, and, and you need to sort of get your weapons up as well. There are also harder enemies to defeat at the bottom of the platform levels as well. Uh, and these increase in difficulty as you progress. The levels themselves are all different. Uh, each one and each boss is a separate load, and they range from organic forest-type levels to ice crystal-type stuff um, to all kinds of different designs and stuff. So there's really a really, really good design ethos to this, and as you progress, there's there's a load of new stuff to play. All the enemies seem different. There's, there's loads of good stuff. Upon completing each level, you get a little fireworks display and a unique score. This is quite cool. You get a unique score for each level. And as you progress, your overall score is made up of the score you attained in each level. I quite like this idea. Sort of thing. You can kind of, oh, I got that on level one that time. We're going to try and beat that one on level two or whatever. So there's a, there's a sort of ongoing score attained here. Mm. 
Um, and should you complete all seven levels and you get a fully animated end sequence, some excellent effects as you fly back to Tume, to the gratitude of the people there, and some more cool music. It's all good. You fly back into the planet, you land, hey, stuff. So yeah, that's the game, essentially. Shoot stuff, upgrade your weapons, fly around, drop these planet busters, beat the bosses, carry on. Loads of It all works really smooth. It's a really good loop. As I said, it's beautifully presented throughout. Visually, the sprites may look simple, but they really work here. There's some great animation on some of them. I love the jetpack people trying to turn around when they're kind of like trying to sort of turn around and they're sort of running in midair. I think it's a really, really cool animation. And more importantly, no matter how much firepower you are packing, there is no slowdown or flickering anywhere, or none that I picked up on. Scrolling is constantly smooth. The action is frenetic and non-stop. It really is an incredible technical showpiece of a game. Even on level one, if you enable all the Radeon shots and the amount of stuff flying around the screen, large bullets firing in multiple directions, load of enemies flying or walking around, always responsive controls, you know, it's just, it never falters. This is some smart piece of coding. There's a really good level of you know engineering under the hood here it's really impressive and some of these bullets that you can fire especially on the later levels like if you power up the super shot to level four it's got this kind of cool sort of sine wavy type bullet which you fire and you can fire that out back and front with these four other bullets or you could have the radiant fire it's just crazy stuff crazy the shop is great to use. Um, the ability to set up your weapons as you want them is very clever and really easy to use and get to grips with once you, you know, at first you're like, what do I move in? But sort of because left and right get, move you back and up and down choose you once. You get used to it though. It's quite easy to get used mm-hmm. to. The sound's also great with little effects to let you know of extra lives, but it is like a paradroid sound effects. Loads mm-hmm. of extra lives. <laughs> extra lives and stuff to pick up, shields to pick up. And there's a good base throb for your weapon fire. I never got tired of the... I ne- the the noises in this never annoyed me, which is always a good That's sign. Good. Um, this is deeply impressive stuff, but, and this is the the, core, the caveat with this game, it's essentially a game that's based on grinding and loot chasing. It's one of those. You need to spend a fair bit of time grinding for Ara to build up your weapons in order to have a fighting chance against the enemies, against the bosses, which are not that hard if you've you know if you've done that grinding but they need some but you need to do that so because they need some decent level of firepower to take them down before they whittle down your lives because they're quite they're quite ferocious in the missiles and stuff that they fire out at you because so, you so if essentially you fly around blasting for some time collect tokens then drop down a series of platforms to plant one of the bombs and that's kind of the loop of this it's not a bad thing but you can find yourself just flying around and blasting to collect loot and upgrading so then that's it that's that's the game how much that yeah, appeals to you is how much you're going to like this because it it it's almost a game based on you can just keep going. You don't have to collect a planet buster. You can just keep going, which is kind of weird because we don't get blasters that play like that. The level kind of mm. levels you got to shoot all the things on the level like drop zones get to level one, level two gets harder and harder and harder. This doesn't. This is like just keep going if you want until you kind of leveled everything up and then you're like, well, I suppose, but I suppose I should move on. And on that level, I think this feels quite modern. And its design, as a lot of games these days are based around those exact principles. This even lets you equip weapons as you see fit as well. Like I said, this is not like a, oh, you got this weapon, the salamander, the, you know, this kind of upgrade trees which you go through and they all are the same. You've got a sort of choice about how you want to sort of put the weapons in and what power you put them to. And I think that's, you know, this is really quite forward thinking. I can see why this got the rating it got. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. I'd have put it higher. If you've got an auto-fire joystick, there's a direct line from this to something like Vampire Survivors, where you start off weak and end up as like a tornado of death as your weapons constantly power up. It's an early auto-scrolling shooter, because if but you just go, oh, actually, it's not auto. That's the problem. You have to keep firing. So it's one of those upgrade loops 
Um, it's a great freeform blaster. It's both technically very clever and fun to play and also allows you to become an absolute monster once you have everything upgraded and lay waste to all before you. True. It's a power fantasy. It's, it's always a good feeling in this type of game to lay, you know, um, and this is really, the, I think, the first game on the machine that has captured that to this degree and kept it all running smoothly as well. Think about Salamander and those other games. There's always a little bit of slowdown. Armalite was technically very clever, but was very prescribed. This isn't. I wasn't sure what to expect from this. I came away very impressed. Very, very impressed. This is. I've been playing this nonstop over the last few days. Um, I'm. I'm absolutely in love with this game. I think it's brilliant. One of the best games I've played for ages. I think it's just a, it's got that loop, and you just keep going and blasting and shooting and killing. Loved it. I absolutely love this. What did you think? It's average. Okay. Anything special. <laughs> it looks very nice. I mean, you can't, I, I'm not going to knock it. The graphics in this game are really, really good, especially in the later levels, the bits with the levels and the bosses. Mm. They're really nice. Um, really good pixel shading. You now, um, if you like the idea of just grinding for diamonds, essentially what they are, and then just powering up weapons, and the upgrade you know, possibilities are crazy good. Mm. And that's very different. I, I, I mean, I'll give you that. It's very different. Um, it's, it plays differently to other shooters as well. You, it sort of has an initial kind of defendery, almost jetpack type vibe. You think, oh, okay, but yeah. there's a lot more to it than that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's not a lot more to it. There's a lot more to what you have to what, what it is. But once you've reached that pinnacle of that, there is no more to it. It's just that. And that's fine That's that, if that's what it is. There's no sort of, you know, it reminded me of Destiny in that, in that sense that, you know, you could just keep getting weapons and you keep blowing stuff yeah, up and you just exactly. keep getting weapons and you blow stuff up and you get stuff. Okay, fine. It's unusual for that. Um, and I've sort of, you know, do, you, do I like those kind of games? I've always found them a bit tedious over time, but that's just, you know, that's just me. This was an interesting thing to go back to, principally because when I had it on the C64 back in the day, I never managed to get a fully working version of this ever. This game always started and crashed. Always, it was must have been a very difficult crack. I know Thalamus games were famous for having quite complex disc protections and quite complicated games to crack overall, but I never really had a fully working version. Ironically, when I was playing it for this one, it also crashed a couple of times. But that's, you know, just a quirk of the way that Vice is currently working on a Mac, which isn't massively brilliant. And I did manage to get it running in the end and quite successfully off the CRT. So the gameplay is a good combination of things and done in the right way. I think it's a bit ahead of its time in the sense that that sort of grind mechanic and the look and the look and the polish. I think the the in platform levels, if you want to call them that, the sort of the inside levels, hmm. um, I think they are much better graphically than the opening level. I think the opening gambit actually undersells. Yeah, but and then again, you know, once you get the power ups, it starts to look crazy. Yeah. The one thing I will say is that the power ups that you get in this do actually feel like they power you up. Yeah. You know, yeah, you yeah. do start. To, it, it had that kind of. Um, there's a couple of games where you go a little character and then you get you know power up after power up after power up after power up, um, and it sort of just. Sometimes the power-ups just feel like they're they're in a tree of power-ups. You know, the speed-up power-up. You've got to get the speed, then you get the double shot, then you get the... Mm-hmm. This one, you know, there were some spectacular combos you could build, and then yeah. there's no real... It's know, all you weaponry can, you put as well. Away. Yeah, you can triple the shot at the front, stick some at the back, put some at the angles. You can do what you like. Yeah. You know, you're configuring this, um, and that, that has an appeal, I have to say, you know. Um, and again, a very modern idea of gaming, you know. Uh, the idea of being able to pick your upgrades and bolt them in, well, you know, that is very modern, or at least, shall I say, modern games obviously owe a lot to this kind of thinking, so it's quite refreshing that way. But, I don't know, my, my only issue with Retrograde is that it's just boring after a while. I have the same problem with Destiny, I have the same problem with them all. It's a loot shooter. Yeah, I, I get it, but it doesn't make it exciting for me. It just means it's boring. It's if you like loot shooters, or if you like those kind of things, then this will appeal to that 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 loop if you don't, then you're not going to. And I get that. I completely understand that. 
and that, that's fine because that's just, you know, the way I like to play games. It has a very modern, modern kind of mobile approach to this. So I can see this working really well on mobile and you have to get the little grades and there's extra, you know, it's it's a, it's a jetpack joyride with extra added weaponry mm. um, and just, you know, and it's that kind of idea, not necessarily just running and scrolling to the right or left, but that idea of, you know, just go in, get out, upgrade, find your thing, do the thing. There's bosses in there. You, you can complete the game. Um, which is interesting, there is an end. Mm. And it has a nice polish. However, you either like these games or you don't. I just find myself just thinking, once I've been through the 50th combo of things, I was like, okay, I'm back here I am again, shooting the blocks that spin and the little things and running up and down, punching stuff. And okay, I can upgrade the punch, fist, whatever it is. I just kind of thought, eh. it became a bit one note after a while. But I suppose that's the point. But it's not my cup of tea. But that doesn't mean it's not a good game. Nor does it mean that you shouldn't go and try it. And I have to say, looking at the production and the way this does and the sound and everything else, 94%. Come on. It's a gold medal. Yeah, it is. It very it's much is. I mean, I don't like this kind of game, but I would, you know, I concede completely that this shouldn't have been a sizzler at 94. This has got 96, 97 written all over it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, this should have incredible. been a gold medal. It, yeah, it is. And it should, it should have been a gold medal. But every time they have something they're not quite sure about, because this doesn't quite fit the mold of shooter in the traditional sense, they just seem to go and make it a sizzler. They did the same with the IK. You know, they mm. never gave IK a gold medal because it's like, well, it's just more, it's like, no, this is doing something really unique and different and better in different ways. Just throws me when they do this. And yet, you know, we have stupid scores in this issue of Zap. And then when we get good games like this, they just underscore them. It's like, just stop with this stupid stuff. Mm. And this is partly one of their own, isn't it, Thalamus? Isn't that part of the bloody publishing company as well? It, it was, yeah. Ghouls and Ghosts and uh, another game took Talk the gold medal. about shitting in your hands and clapping. Well, <laughs> like I said, I find these games a little bit boring, but that doesn't mean that you would find them boring and you didn't. And it doesn't mean that everyone no. would. It's a beautiful looking game, but excellently put together and very excellent in its um, execution. There's no doubt about any of that. Um, so go try it out and see what you see, what you know. And then these guys, these guys know the C64. I mean, look what they do later. So this is just a step along that journey. Go try it out for that. Ignore the stupid zap score. And you know, if you like grinding games, this is right up your street. So yeah, it's good. It's not my cup of tea, but it is very good. Um, and I just find them a bit dull, but that's just me. No, I, I, I can I can completely understand that. I think it, you, like I said, you know, I put nearly 100 hours or so into Vampire Survivors last year. So, And that's a game which has even less than this. In that, you just walk around. I don't have 100 hours to, to put into that. <laughs> it was over a period. It was over a long period of time where each run's about half an hour. And I just did it over quite a long, quite a long period. So hundred hours is a long time to just wander around and do that. It is, but again, these games can get their hooks into you, into you maybe. But but that's fine, and that, that's they, they they have a niche. It, what's I tell you what is impressive with this is how early that thinking is in the games. I didn't I didn't realize that. I didn't realize this. I mean, I always assumed because of my memory of retrograde that it was more like a. Um, sidearms type shooter That's I think it's because of the way well. it looks yeah but you know what it's it's they've taken some of the elements of sidearms the kind of weaponry upgrades that you get and then just kind of made it into a big selection process and just you know blow shit up well you know what there's not wrong with that no. <laughs> keep blowing stuff up the later on when you get to the later levels as well like I said the, the graphics for the bullets and stuff they get they're really amazing impressive. The graphics they're all good graphics are really yeah. really the explosions high standard going here. off left right and center sound effect and no slowdown none there's a lot of characters moving on here well and there's not a lot of sprites moving around. And the, where they do, you've got lots of... You haven't got... I'll tell you what you haven't got, and I think this is probably what separates it. You don't have lots of sine wave enemies. They just kind of come on and, you know, mill about a bit and bugger off, and you've just blasted everything in sight. That yeah. works for this. You don't need all them stupid... Sound. I'm so sick of sine wave shooters. I could puke. 
I'm quite glad for them, you know, just all over the place. Works for me. You know, when it, the Delta tradition, you know, wave comes on, wiggly, wiggly line. Wave comes on, wiggly, wiggly line in the opposite direction. It's like, just, it's not that. <laughs> At least no. not wholly that. Good. No. Good. Works. Mm, good. It does. There you go. Retrograde. Yeah. It's a very brilliant game. It's just not the kind of brilliant game I like. That's retrograde. Should have been a gold medal, please. Let's move on. I'm sure the next one will be just as good. We say it every bloody time. <laughs> I have to. It's become a catchphrase. <laughs> Let's move on to that. And so, Graham, it's, it's down to you to tell us how good Dragon Spirit is. I'm sure I will and you'll enjoy <laughs> Dragon Spirit. So this was uh, from Dumark. Domark. It was copyright Namco Tengen. Yes, it's from the Arcade Obscura, this one. <laughs> um, the coding here was by Keith Perkis. It says Pac-Man in the game. I guess that's his, maybe his nickname or something, or maybe he just didn't want to be involved with it. Graphics maybe. are by Paul Johnson, and the musician here was Dave Kelly. Um, so Dragon Spirit is a 1987 vertical scrolling shooter arcade game. This is from the Arcade Wiki. Developed and published by Namco in North America, it was distributed by Atari. Ooh. Mm. Controlling the dragon, Amor. The player must complete each of the game's nine areas to rescue the princess Alicia from the demon Zawel. Why? <laughs> Similar to Namco's own Xevious, Amor has a projectile weapon for destroying air-based enemies and a bomb for destroying ground-based enemies. That bomb can only be one thing if you're a flying dragon, can it? It ain't a bomb. You're <laughs> dropping massive great dragon shits, aren't you? You does what you're doing. Anyway, ran on the Namco System 1 arcade board. So, C64 version then. Well, I can tell you straight off the bat, Adrian, the C64 version is a blocky and piece of shit. <laughs> this game contains everything I hate about bad conversions. Everything. The graphics are a badly shaded, oddly coloured, blocky nightmare. The screen size is diminished, so we've got thicker borders. Always a good sign. Mm. The UI is just basic text across the bottom of the screen. Your dragon, quote-unquote, looks like a crap medium-res blocky balloon animal. The enemy sprites barely resemble anything, from what I could see. This feels like someone had the arcade explained to them, perhaps over a CB radio. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, after the crap title screen, where you can see such exciting delights as the scores, keyboard controls, and the bonus tokens, great, along with an annoying version or an attempt at the arcade music, you can start the game if you want to, and which by some miracle loads each level in one at a time. Why, how, who, when, what? But it does. It does. Area one pops in, and I mean pops into view, and the blocky monstrosity will be revealed to you. Your flapping dog turd is controlled with the joystick. Fire shoots. There are tokens to collect that will upgrade you, and that's about all there is to that. Trust me, you won't get that far in this because it's that bad. As a top-down shooter, this is rubbish. The scrolling is smooth, I guess, if you can call it that, and you get attacked by waves of enemies that fire near-on impossible-to-see crappy character graphics at you that kind of fidget and twitch around anyway and do that kind of horrible character shuffle. Not good. Not good. If they hit you, the game kind of jolts, and there's no final animation for the dragon or anything. It just kind of goes, Ugh! and then just sat again. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, and that's I've how it works. So it's like, uh, I've been hit. Uh, I've been hit. Uh. <laughs> it's like, oh, why? There is nothing, nothing, and I mean nothing good here. Not only is this expensive for what it is, there are loads of better games for less money. I mean, even even far back as Warhawk. So, you know, we're going back a long way here for games yeah. that were two quid that are just better than this in every yeah. way. It's hard to explain how bad this game looks for a game in 1990 when you've just played bloody Retrograde. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Didn't do any favours. <laughs> it's impossible to explain how crap it looks. It makes BBC games look good. 
and high res. It is awful. So there's nothing good about this. Like I said, it's expensive. Go and get any one of a dozen other shooters that are, you know, that are better than this. Even Xevious is better than this. I and mean, this is based on the same bloody thing. So in order to sort of explain the, the nature of the game, you fly upwards, you control the flapping dragon, things come downwards and you shoot at them and you will get killed. Okay, there we go. I hope you enjoyed that. So my take on this was, you know what? Go and, if you're going to spend 10 quid, Throw a little bit extra in and go and buy a copy of the shoot up construction kit and make your own version of this because it will be better. I'm telling you, mm. you'll do better than this because all of the engine that's built around the shoot up construction kit makes better games than this out of the box and this actual piece of crap. They'd have been better off just buying that and making this game with it. Yep. Absolutely unbelievable. I mean, granted, the arcade is a really obscure old thing. You know, I've never even heard of it. Have you heard of it? No, 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 no. I mean, it, it, it was probably popular because it's a shoot up in the spirit of. If you imagine 1942 with a dragon, it's pretty much that. Yeah. yeah. So just take the sprites out and put them in and you've got kind of this kind of thing with the same kind of sounds and everything else. Oh, anyway. I don't think anyone was crying out for it though, do you? I mean, I don't think anyone sat there going, oh, where's that dragon spirit? Why haven't they done a version of that? And then somebody suddenly had a brainwave in 1990 and went, you know what? Let's make it look like it was made in 1984. That's when they were asking for it or whenever it was. <laughs> 1980, whatever it was. I mean, when did it come out? 1987. So it's not a great looking and great playable arcade. But the one I looked at it on YouTube, it just looked like a boring 1942. Not very exciting either. And so there's dragons in it. So what? And there's a little bit of brouhaha and dragons at the start. Dragons, dragons, so what? Bah! No. Everything here is so badly made. This is an embarrassment to the C64 in 1990. This should not be. This got 24%. Come on. Four. Give it it'd be <laughs> low 10. This is rubbish. It's rubbish. It should never have been released. It's awful. This is no more an arcade conversion than the last piece of fish that I ate from the fish shop. <laughs> you know, it's rubbish. I, I really, I hated it because it was so bad. I doubly hated it because I just played retrograde and played this one. I was like, what the hell is this awfulness? So no, there's nothing good about this at all other than the fact you can turn it off. What about you? Please stop. Please stop with these awful arcade conversions. <laughs> Please stop. They so barely bad. represent the original. So the original, because I played it, it's, it's got, a, it's got, a, you're actually quite a small dragon in the original. Because there's a lot yeah. of screen space because it's got tall vertical. So you don't take up that much screen space. But here, you're massive. <laughs> you take yeah. up far too much of the screen. So it's just, oh, that's not good. So what happens when you're massive in a shooter? Uh, it's very hard to yeah. avoid anything. And they shrink the screen size down. So you're yeah. less, you've got even less screen to go around. Why? And everything, as you rightly said, is ugly. Oh, it's so really ugly. ugly. The backgrounds, the sprites, the music, the colour, the choice of colours. Ugh. You don't like purple and green. <laughs> <laughs> so much blue and purple. It's horrible. It's a co- awful, awful, awful. Yeah. We've had so many decent shmups, both horizontal and vertical. This to come out in 1989-90 and look and play like this, no, just no, just no. I mean, Light yeah. Force was four years ago now. That was yeah. good. It's just unbelievable. Terra Cresta, Slap Fight. Yeah. That one that was, you mentioned the BBC. What was that one that was converted from the BBC by Nick Pelling? Was it, what was it? That kind of weird fire track. That was all right. We've had loads of decent vertical scrolling shoot ups yeah, there's no reason for this to be like this, and so because no. I, I, I went and played the arcade game, and it's what it actually is. is what you wouldn't get from the C64 version. It's like you said, it's like a, it's Xevious because because yeah. basically you've got targets and you drop bombs, and it's kind of a Xevious type thing. There's no way to tell that it here is. though, with the Ooh. flickery visuals, horrible gameplay, and a massive oversized dragon sprite. Yeah, nah, that fidgets when you die. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather drink dragon spirits than play this. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, um, this was bloody rubbish. Twenty four percent is too nice to this. This was crap. It's one of the another in the long line of terrible, terrible conversions. Yep, may not be the worst we see this week though. <laughs> no, I don't think it will be. But it's certainly <laughs> up, it's, 
It's just, you know what, they're lining themselves up for the awards at the end of the year already. No, that's good to see, isn't it? It's good. That's commitment, that is. <laughs> like they that. saw 34 years into the future. We've got to be in that <laughs> Breadbin Awards, even if it's for the shittest thing ever. Yep, yep, exactly. They, they knew, they knew. They knew. <laughs> Let's move along. That's enough of Dragon Spirit. I don't want to speak of that anymore. And our last game, this uh, part, is, well, it's Pictionary, the game of quick draw. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, there's, a, there's a word in that title that don't belong there. There's two words that don't belong in that. The game of quick, quick draw? Quick. <laughs> it's another board game. It's another board, it's another, well, it's not a board game, is it? I suppose it's not a board game, Pictionary, is it? Or oh, it is a board game. It is a board game. game which you draw, yeah. They, they always work well on the C64, don't they? They've always worked well. The only one that's actually liked was that, Trivial Pursuit one. Yeah, that and, was and all right. Brian Clough's Football, that was quite good, but that used it in an interesting way. This, though, well, it's the computer version of Pictionary. It's released by, again by Domark. Domark Double Bill. Double Domark. They were on a bloody roll. Um, and it was made by Oxford Mobius. I have no idea okay. who they are, but I'm guessing they're not Enemy part of the of James Matrix. Bond. <laughs> well, they're not part of the Matrix. <laughs> The Oxford has Morpheus in it. Oxford Mobius. Yeah, or an enemy of James Bond. Yeah, that's it. So you think that's Pictionary you're playing? <laughs> Who are you? We, Mr. Bond, at the Oxford Mobius. <laughs> you expect me to die? <laughs> no, I expect you to draw, Mr. Bond. <laughs> Not on this crappy thing, I won't. Uh, I don't think this is going to take very long. If you're unfamiliar with the game of Pictionary, I'm just going to let Wikipedia do the heavy lifting here because it's like, whatever. Yeah. Pictionary is a charades-inspired word-guessing game invented by Robert Angel with graphic design by Gary Everson, first published in 1985 by Angel Games. Uh, they published it, they licensed, sorry, Pictionary to Western Publishing. Hasbro purchased the rights in 1994 after acquiring the game's business of Western Publishing. Mattel acquired ownership of Pictionary in 2001, so it's owned by Mattel now. The game itself is played in teams with players trying to identify specific words from their teammates. The objective is that each team moves a piece on a board game um, formed by a sequence of squares. Each square has a letter or shape identifying the type of picture to be drawn on it. The objective is to be the first team to reach the last space on the board. To achieve this, a player must guess the word or phrase being drawn by their partner. That's the whole point of this. You get a word, a phrase, you have to draw it, and people have to guess what it is. That's it. If the player lands on the all-play square, though, one player from each team attempts to illustrate the same concept simultaneously with the two teams racing to guess first. The first player to land and guess correctly at the finish wins. Categories that the drawings can be chosen from are a person, place, or animal, an object or action, difficult, or all play. There you go. So essentially this is Trivial Pursuit with drawings to guess instead of questions. That's what it is. And I was always at rubbish at this because I'm a terrible artist. Just terrible. So I can't draw. So whoever Same. was on my Same. team, if I was in teams, they had no chance. They were just they were doomed to fail. To so the C64 version... It looks like it tried to mirror the 16-bit versions in the layout of the board and what's yeah, on the screen. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's tried to do it, as we saw in that Sporting Triangles game, in that horrible high-res mode that rarely works on this machine. It just, yeah. it's like, ah, uh, this doesn't look Washed good. out. It looks bitty and ugly and washed out, yeah, from the outset. Yeah. Yep. The game starts with the board. There's no title screen that I could find. Uh, and the default mode is simply one-player mode with the computer drawing the pictures for you to guess. <laughs> I cannot think of anything more boring or depressing. <laughs> I literally cannot. I'm going to sit here and watch this computer slowly draw things. Then it then says to me, did you guess it? I did. Oh, well done. It's so like, stupid. It's like, what is this? 
but some people might like it. Some I'm not going to judge, but some people might. I would. I didn't. There's some options at the top, and you can tr- you can control this by either the joystick or with the keys that are indicated against each option. So M for menu, H for help, G L for level, so on and so forth. Move up to the menu or press the M. We can leave the menu. <laughs> it's kind of odd. Leave the menu. I just got here. <laughs> change the number of players in the game or start a new one. You can change the time for drawing and guessing, practice with the drawing tools, or get some help. Changing the number of players allows you to play with up to four players or with four teams. If you play in teams, then you have to draw the pictures with the game's mm. built-in drawing package. This open up this opens up whenever someone has to draw something and allows you to slowly do line and boxes and circles and fill stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, it's slow. I, I mean, I guess it's okay, but it's very slow. It's very, very slow. Controlling it with the joystick is not fun. So on the on the 16-bit version, you should have had a mouse. So if you're yep. drawing stuff, you click, click, draw it with the mouse quickly. You can do that quick. Mm-hmm. Drawing with the joystick, just no. Even when you watch this no. computer draw stuff, it's like, oh, God, it's moves, no. it moves. It even moves over to pick the icons. Just do it yourself. Just put the drawing on there. Don't yeah. show me... Uh, the game is played out until one player reaches the end. I can't see anyone wanting this version of the game. It's no. clunky. Drawing anything is a pain in the ass. And whilst watching some, whilst watching someone struggle with the tools might be fun for a bit, but I don't think it ever would be. You just want the board game variant, which is infinitely better and quicker and more suited to group play. Like we said with all these bloody board games, mm. if you're desperate for some one-player Pictionary, I, 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 I don't know, this might appease. But then, <laughs> even then, Pictionary. I know. Who thought of that? Then the ugly graphics, the boring drawing, and the awful, horrible <laughs> oh, sounds. Dear. Sound effects. Oh, they're awful. They won't no. keep you playing this for very long. This got sixty-eight percent, Graham. No, no. I, no I'll tell you what. I, I, no way. You should have seen the drawing I did to represent my feelings of this. You'd have guessed what it was because <laughs> there were flies flying <laughs> okay. around it. I um, can imagine. Yeah, this was awful, rubbish. I'm not going to say any more. What? What is it to say? It's a crap version of Pictionary. Yep. What did you think? I thought it was a crap version of Pictionary. <laughs> and there we go. That's this half over with. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not much to say about it. It's crap. It's a really crap version of a... I mean, Pictionary's all right, but for this money at fourteen ninety nine, go yeah, and buy Pictionary. Yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention. It's easier to pick up a pencil, even if you're crap at drawing, and draw it on a, draw on a piece of paper than it is to try with that stupid drawing tool. It's like trying to draw things with koala paint when you don't know how to use it with a joystick. That is my idea of a nightmare. Yep. So you end up just, no, I ended up creating what looked like four interconnected lines. And I'm like, what? I don't, it's rubbish. It's just rubbish. I mean, even if you just use, you know, maybe you, you release the package of Pictionary and all the C64 did was just manage the process of whose go it is and keep track of scores and just the, you know, the management of it. That yep. would have been preferable to making you draw with the stupid package. Mm-hmm. Awful, awful, awful. Just buy Pictionary and play that. And just, you don't need to spend 250 quid on a Commodore 64 if you want to play Pictionary. You can just spend 15 quid and just pencils are probably quite cheap as well. Paper's yeah. got two sides. You know, you can use, you know, you can use it loads. <laughs> it's got both Utterly. sides. Utterly. It's just pointless. It's what is it? What was the other one? The other game like this that was just pointless. Oh, scruples. Um, scruples. They're just pointless conversions. Look, now we've said this many, many times over the life of this podcast. There's some games that just, don't do them. You do, there was no no one asked for Pictionary on the C64. No, no one wanted it. No one cared about it. No one would ever want it because it's bloody stupid to do it that way. Same with that. Oh, you know, if we're going right back, that match fishing game. Nobody wants to match fish <laughs> on a Commodore 64. <laughs> Nobody wants to play Pictionary on their own with the Commodore 64. That's the idea of really, really severe depression to me. That's depression, isn't it? Yeah, but that match fishing did allow you all to sort of sit there with your hands under the table and then. 
jab jab away at the keyboard. The excitement of not knowing if the fish is going to strike with Pictionary. No one's going to know what you're drawing because you're going to go, there you go. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Did you get Use your imagination. No. I'm trying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it looks to me like you've drawn some lines. Rubbish. Just rubbish. I don't even want to think about it anymore. It's just stupid. Don't don't make these games. No one likes them. No one wants them. No. <laughs> no. No, they don't. It's there we go. terrible. It's a terrible, terrible. So crap. Between that and Dragon Spirit, all my hopes, you know, I mean, like I said, it's not my kind of, not my cup of tea. But all my spirits raised by retrograde because what we said all along the past few episodes, when the games are good, they're really good. And this is a perfect example of that. One amazing game. You go, look at the graphics and the pixel art. It's amazing. And then comes one dog turd and another dog turd. <laughs> and you're like, well, well why? And again, I apologize to our listeners that are scatologically sensitive, but sometimes you just, you can only express it in these terms. It's literally sorry, one yeah. step forward, two steps back. Yeah, yeah, and two of those steps were into some kind of you know mess that you didn't want to be involved with. <laughs> absolutely, manhole. Absolutely, you're gonna be you're gonna be getting the hose out to clean your shoes with that lot. Exactly, you step back into a manhole and someone dropped a hammer on your head, was, you know, just as you went in. Yeah, awful. Rubbish. And then someone drew a picture a picture of it that you didn't know what <laughs> yeah. it was. What's that? <laughs> Don't know. Exactly. Don't know. Is it a really shit dragon? Yes. <laughs> and I tell you what, I think doubly makes this bad for me. I'm not a very good artist anyway. This did not fill me with confidence. This did not help my drawing confidence to play a game where not only am I bad at drawing, but I'm doubly bad at drawing because I'm trying to do it with a stupid, nonsensical tool. No, I don't try and get, I don't generally, if I'm going to write something, I don't go and get a joystick and try and write with the joystick. I'll you use know? a pen. So, well, yeah, exactly. In this, no. And what, you know, what other great fantasy games, you know, family games of this type are going to come out now? Good luck. Goodness me, I don't want to think about it. No, I don't. No. <laughs> Let's not. Let's just move along. Let's move along. Let's Get end lost the half. Pictionary. We'll yes, end this please. <laughs> Here we go. It's been one good and two terrible. One amazing, two rubbish yeah two what amazing two rubbish Ugh. but uh let's move along we'll get to <laughs> there's games coming later uh, it'll all be fun and games as well we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back and see what's going on the land of the silver screen um and the tv screen um in uh, january 1990 please please stick with us and here we are again it's the first of january it's TV for TV for 1990, January 1990. What's going on? First January, New Year's Day highlights, Graham, on BBC One. It's highlights. They included the network television premiere of the 1985 romantic drama Out of Africa, starring oh. Robert Redford and Meryl Streep. You know what? We had to watch that in our house. I'm not surprised. We were made to watch it because my mum was really into that sort of stuff. It was so boring. Almost crying with boredom at that film at that age. So, especially on New Year's Day, because you know yeah. you just want to be sad. You know, it's almost like it's the second second Christmas Day. You're gonna have something to eat. You're gonna probably have a few drinks and that, a few sweets and whatnot. Just put something exciting. The most boring film ever. It's just endless boring. It's the most boring thing. Boring. And there's nothing to do on New Year's Day, is there? Everything's no, short. Nothing's open. Everything's short. It's boring. The uh, boring. <laughs> So dull. Well, so if you didn't dull. like that, you could have watched the 1982 musical sequel, Grease 2. Oh, gosh. Right. I'm going to confess something to you, Adrian, right? Uh-huh. Grease is a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine, the film Grease. I don't I like, like musicals generally, but and not only is it a guilty pleasure of mine, I must have watched Grease. In fact, I could right now, and I'm not going to, I could recite the entire script to you, all of it, <laughs> by, from memory, because I've watched dun, it that dun, often. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Grease is the word, is the word. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was a culture. I think it was a cultural thing for 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 young young yeah, ones of us. I it, absolutely had giddy fantasies about you know Sandra D and Olivia Newton John and 
just John Travolta, maybe. Uh, but more importantly, it just uh, I've watched it that many times on video. I mean, like crazy. Yeah, yeah. In fact, let me tell you something, and I'll confess something really stupid here. Not only did I watch this in times two, um, <laughs> I also watched this entire film several times backwards. Um, what, why? Anyway, I don't know. Just I did. All right, I'm leaving it there. So I really like Greece, and I, 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 like I said, I know it off by heart. That's how you know. And it's just one of those films. It's like everyone has the film that they watched a lot when they were poorly or if they were ill. We had one copy on video, and it was you know I just really liked it. So Greece Two came along, and it's I mean it had a lot to live up to, but it is crap. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer in it, playing. I'm like that. She's not Sandy. That's not Sandy. That's no in. I just know it's not rubbish. No, yeah, songs in it are really awful. It had a real Xanadu vibe about it, and I never liked Xanadu either, even though that is Olivia Newton John. Yeah. No, no one did. No, 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 no. And it's put on, on another one on bloody New Year's Day. Happy New Year out of Africa. Greece 2. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Can I go play my Commodore 64? Anyone want a game of Pictionary? No. <laughs> <laughs> we knew we Why'd you buy me that. this? Retrograde's out. I put Dragon Spirit on, you bloody won't. Not in this house. <laughs> I'll need to get on the spirits to play that. Um, also on 1st January, if you didn't fancy either of those, there was the debut of the iconic sitcom Mr. Bean on ITV and Rowan Atkinson as the titular character. I didn't realise that was on that early. Yeah, it's dead early, isn't it? Wait, I thought yeah. it was much like I thought it was mid-90s, but no, yeah, I did. No, absolutely blew my mind. First day of early. the 90s. There we go. But it's not funny, though. No. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just say it. It's not funny. It never was. It's just never tickled my bean. No. If that's the aim. <laughs> if indeed that was the aim of it. Isn't I just I've never found it funny. I don't I don't know. I just I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I really like Rowan Atkinson and, and he's an amazingly clever guy and a very, you know, he's famous for his kind of elastic face, you know, and all the rest of it. And he, I'm sure the situations of the silent comedy of Mr. Bean are timeless enough to trans you know, go across the world. No, this they is did. a massively syndicated show. I think I've seen every flight I've ever been on. If there's been in-flight entertainment, there's had a Mr. Bean episode on it everywhere. And I've seen people of every na- every nationality watching it. So it's, you know, it's got that kind of silent comedy appeal. It's Charlie Chaplin did it millions of years before this. Yeah. You know? I'm fine if you like it. I just didn't get on with it. Never. I've, it's never really made me laugh in the same way that South Park's never made me laugh. So I don't know what that says about me, really. Don't say anything. Just says you don't like those shows. Yeah, that's it. I, I never liked Mr. Bean. I didn't find it funny. I just yeah. wanted more Blackadder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked his... You no, know, I like that kind of characterization. Mr. Bean, you know, somebody that's walking around going, hmm, toothbrush. I'm, like, oh, I'm sure your sides are splitting mine, aren't <laughs> No, they're not. <laughs> 2nd of January, well, it just gets better. Granada's flagship nightly news program, Granada Reports, is rebranded as Granada Tonight. <laughs> Stop the press. <laughs> <laughs> aren't you, for all our international listeners, aren't you jealous that you weren't in the UK in- <laughs> back then? <laughs> For those be. of you tuning in tonight for tonight's Granada <laughs> reports, you'd be pleased to know that it hasn't disappeared off the schedule. It's now been called Granada tonight, but it's on tomorrow <gasps> night now. Here, here, Deirdre, they've rebranded it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I don't think I'll watch it anymore. The problem with branding it something like Granada tonight is how do you then get the continuity announcers to work with that? And that's tomorrow night. Granada tonight's on tomorrow night. It's tomorrow. <laughs> It's called Granada Tonight, though. Please it's join on tomorrow. Us tomorrow night for t- Granada Tonight. Granada Tonight. It's just like you've got can retros- imagine the Red Vases <laughs> or his equivalents in the in those territories. Just they're going. It makes no bloody sense. I can't say it. Yeah, but the Red Vases <laughs> equivalent of them would be calling it Granada. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Granada Tonight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first episode of the sixth Tea Bag series airs in <sighs> which Georgina Hale debuts as Tabitha Bag, the second yeah. Tea Bag. <laughs> Tabby Bag. <laughs> Tabby bag, tea bagging exclusively on iTunes. I don't know what this is. What is this? 
It's a kid's show, and that's all I remember of it. And there's a kid in it called Teabag. What he does, I don't want to think about, and I'm not going back to look. I'm not no. Googling Teabag. <laughs> Best not to. The outcome is ridiculous. Um, finally, 2nd of January, the 30-minute weekday 6am CFAX slot returns to BBC One. God, it's so boring. <laughs> Rather than the special pages used for CFAX AM, the content is the same as for all other CFAX broadcasts. Well, thank God TV in the 90s was so exciting. That's all I can say. I mean, this is this is the start of the decade. Start with a bang, at least. Now, here's the thing. So I actually found, believe this is unbelievable, but somebody recorded... CFAX from the 13th of April 1990 and put it on YouTube. In fact, there's a whole series of series, a whole series of CFAX pages from 1990 on YouTube. So if you want the real experience, I'll put that link in the show notes. Just go and watch a bit of CFAX and you'll you'll get the full vibe. <laughs> people, what the crazy stuff people put on YouTube, it blows my mind. Yeah. More interesting. Oh, good Lord. 24th of January to the 3rd of February, <laughs> the BBC broadcasted the 1990 Commonwealth Games. BBC mm. One stayed on the air all night to provide live coverage. It did. First time the BBC One that BBC One had provided full live coverage of an overseas Commonwealth Games. Around 12 hours of live action broadcast each day. Wow, sir. You just know by the end of those sort of closing hours, all the presenters that were not used to doing long sort of stints like that we're all bleary-eyed and haggard <laughs> just and probably going a bit crazy but look it's 100 meters again it's 100 meters it's keep running it's still running it's the mar- is it a marathon he's still running calm down jeffrey calm down <laughs> they'd all turn into sort of crazy versions of um of alan partridge he's got a shuttlecock it's not blooming working i don't know what's the matter with it it's, oh it's oh it's squash it's squash that's why Squash. I imagine okay. by, the, by the end of it, they'd probably feel like they were in that um, ghost watch. <laughs> I can just imagine, can't you? So we're going to look at the uh, the tennis chat. Oh, it's not tennis. Sorry, no, my mistake. Swimming. We've got swimming now. <laughs> well, swimming. that threw me. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm a bit tired. I haven't really slept and I don't really know what I'm saying. <laughs> what day is it? It's finished yeah. yet. I've been they doing this for a week. They, they won't let me out. <laughs> I can't leave. <laughs> but anyway... Um, yeah, is this, you know, I'm presuming it all came from the US, but it's over here. This must have been the start of that sort of long form sports coverage. That yeah, got, got going. I mean, where was the Commonwealth Games in 1990? Where was it held? Oh, I don't know. So, I can have a look. I don't you know, know. I'm Does sure that mean there's ta- is there time differences and all that to contend with? Uh, it was Auckland, New Zealand. That's why they oh, could so go that, through the that's night. That's why it was on other through the night because it was on in the day there. Cheeky yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cheeky yes, monkeys. Exactly. 27th of January, the final episode of Bob's Full House. It's broadcast on BBC One. Um, I've put a clip here. Hopefully you enjoyed that Narnia advert at the start of it. Oh, that's where you did that circle thing. I was like, oh, right. Top draw yeah. special effects there. Wow, look at that. Yeah, great. Um, I was I, I was a big fan of Bob Monkhouse. He always used to make me giggle. Um, mm-hmm. Just king of the compares. Really was. Yeah. Fast king of the, you know, he had those gags, just constant gags, gag machine. And, they were, and not, not all of them landed, but some of them did. And when they did, it was always like, oh, God. I just liked him. It was a sad day. Sad day when this stopped because I, I liked uh, Bob's Full House. That was, a, <laughs> was one of my uh, guilty pleasures game shows back then. Are you a fan? No, but <laughs> I just, I'm not a fan of bingo. I don't agree with <laughs> I it. I love bingo. Bingo's I know you great. do. I bingo's know you bloody do. Great. And you've got golden dabbers, I'm sure, but I, I can't. I can't stand. I can't I stand bloody bingo. All the twos. Twenty-two. I don't. I can't stand <laughs> Seven it. Seven and one. I can't. Seventy-one. You can't make numbers fun by just introducing stupidity to them. You can't. Maggie's den. Number ten. <laughs> yeah. Right. So this is TV bingo, isn't it? But but that's not to say that Bob Monkhouse wasn't a interesting compare and character because he was. He was a. 
really good comedian. And I believe, although I, I, I couldn't find any way that would confirm it, but I believe he had a photographic memory. I've so, yeah, there was, yeah, so he, so he like could that, sort of yeah. record his jokes into his mind. And then he, that's when he's, when he's doing his sort of his stand up at the beginning of that show, which is about, which is way longer than it needed to be. I felt, I felt like yeah, it went does, on for ages. That's the, that's the thing. He does massive like intros. Like after game, yeah. after show, it's his stand up. Because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, oh, we bingo, bingo afterwards. Oh, that's right. why. Yeah. <laughs> But I found a really nice website, which was called, it's an article about Bob Munkhouse called The Million Joke Man, because he was famous for having a, mem- a million jokes in his memory, wasn't he? That's what they're saying. And it's really good. And some of his jokes are in there, some of the best jokes that he read out. And there's the one there which says, um, last week, my <laughs> wife served me something for dinner. That was so far, I gave it to the dog. And he licked his ass to get the taste out of his mouth. Comedy gold. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Bob Monkhouse, that is. He also said, he said, I'm someone lucky I caught the wreath at a funeral, which always gave me a chuckle. <laughs> That's the kind of thing. I like that kind of thing. But I think he's he's way better than a lot of people give him credit for, for that kind of thing. I think he just got branded with the wrong bunch of comedians at the time. I don't know why. It's not really unfair. He was always funny to watch. And I think Jimmy Carr has made a career out of ripping him off. When I watched that, I was like, I know you've made your, you know, your own observations, but I was just like, he just struck me at how, how much Jimmy Carr is almost transforming into Bob Monkhouse and that kind of one-liners and the way he's, even his delivery style. Yeah, I, I thought that when you're watching this, I was like, but his cut of mannerism stuff, how much David Tennant ripped him off for his Doctor Who character. Yeah, I, I saw that after you'd said that. Yeah, it's a very astute observation, that. Yeah. I was like, this reminds me of someone. I was like, oh, it's David Tennant. But yep. obviously just based his English character on that. But anyway, it's a sad, sad shame. Bob's Full House. Yeah. No more. No yeah. more. No more, no. no more. But there's loads of loads of the episodes on YouTube. We'll link to one. You can go watch them if you want. Go watch Recommend. it. He called his last bingo numbers, wasn't it? That's it. I'm out he of did. here. He did. 31st January, the network television premiere of the James Bond film, <laughs> A View to a Kill. What's What goes around comes around, Graham. Stars Chris Roger Moore and all the rest. Yeah. Of Dusty Bond, of course. I mean, we, we spoke Dusty about Bond. Dusty Bond at great length, didn't way we? Way back. That was way back way when we back. first started. It was, yeah. You know, and it's, 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 that shows you how long we've been doing this podcast. It's come on TV and that in the UK time span, that was, that was epic. Yeah, that is. Yeah. This might be, the, is this one of the first ones that we covered at the cinema and then it's come on telly? Yeah, I think it might very well be. Yeah, there's got to be one of them up there. But yeah, it's just... You know, we've, we, what more can we say about this film than we've already said? I found a really interesting article, actually. It's rubbish. Called, called Diamonds Aren't Forever, Roger Moore's A View to a Kill. And it's a really little interesting footnote about Roger Moore, including a really cute little story, which I will I will say. Because I don't know. I mean, we were critical of Roger Moore and everything else. And he's and he was, what, I think he was he's in his 60s or late 50s, 60s when he when he was that Bond. He was heavily criticised for being a, an old Bond. He was too old. Yeah, it was one too many. It was, was, yeah, it was too clearly, many. he was clearly too old, you know, and, and and I think he acknowledged that. And even though he's apparently more physically active in that one, he's just you know he's toops at risk of flying off at any point in that. Um, but there was a really interesting little footnote where this this kid was at an airport back in when when airports didn't have first class lounges, and Roger Moore was sat across from them, and he noticed this, and he said to his dad, "Look, there's James Bond over there." Not you know, just assuming that it was James Bond. So. Mm. He said, do you think we can get his, you know, get him to sign my, you know, ticket for me? So they went over to see him, see Roger Moore, and he signed, and he's like, oh, yeah, give me a piece of paper, nice to speak to you, blah, blah, blah. And he signed it, Roger Moore. So then it's this is his dad who went, because the kid was too nervous, so the dad went to get it, came back, gave it to his kid, and his kid was like, he's put Roger Moore, who's Roger Moore? You know, it's, it's James Bond, I want James Bond on there. So the kid went back with his dad, and he said, look, you know, he's, you've written Roger Moore, and, you know, he wants to know why James Bond. And he, apparently Roger Moore leaned in and he went, I can't write James Bond because Blofeld's watching every move I make. So I had to write, I had to pretend that I'm Roger Moore and I can't tell anyone, but I'll keep the secret between me and you. And I thought, oh, that, <laughs> so we, that, how cool is it? So that's the kind, apparently the kind of character that Roger Moore was and for real. So, but it doesn't stop him from being a dusty brown jacketed crazy in the film, does it? <laughs> Absolutely. Wrapping his, uh, <laughs> wrapping his old dusty limbs around young, young women. 
Well, we don't remember what we said. The old, uh, the old broken Hoover bag. <laughs> Henry, <laughs> Henry. <laughs> what is that? It's like a fine ash. It tastes like chalk and let's not go down baby that powder. Dusty, let's not go down that dusty road again. <laughs> dusty roads. <laughs> Finally, sometime in January, don't know when, for the first time, Emmerdale is networked across almost all of ITV, airing at 7pm on Tuesdays and Thursdays. What happened to January 1990? <laughs> January has a reputation for the most boring month ever. You know, we kidding. confirmed it. We have proved it in tests, yeah. And finally, Chrysalis Television takes over the contract to produce London Weekend Television News. Oh, great. <laughs> I'm sure they do a great job. Who the hell are Chrysalis? I don't know. Some, obviously some production company, but the last Chrysalis I, I knew of was are. to do with Prisoner Cell Cage, I think, an Australian production company. I could be wrong, though. could be wrong. Maybe, and I hope maybe. I am, because if I know that, that's terrible and a terrifying thought that I know about Chrysalis Television for no reason. Yeah. But I did notice that you put who the hell are Chrysalis on our notes, and just but they grow the pods. That's all we need to know. They just grow the pods. Let's <laughs> leave it there. The pods. Let's leave it there. Let's get some new TV shows. We've, already, first January, we've already mentioned Mr. Bean. Um, um, let's not mention that anymore. 2nd of January, though, was Gophers. <laughs> <laughs> this was a Channel 4 children's program about a family of American gophers who move into a new neighborhood called Sycamore Heights. They've been next door to a family of uptight but well-informed, well-intentioned rabbits, the Burrows. <sighs> it's horrific. It wasn't good, was it? No. They look really no. ugly and weird. It's horrible. Yeah. They're not gophers. Gophers are cute little furry things that go on golf courses and do stupid stuff. Not this thing. Yeah. It's a giant ugly thing. What the hell was that? No. I don't know. No. No. Um, 3rd of January, though, you could have watched Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Oh, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> was you a fan? What? Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Just of the whole Teenage Mutant Turtle thing. I don't want to be one of those. I mean, I... Got into them earlier because my friend Darren got the role-playing game. Mm-hmm. So he got the role-playing game and I was like, oh, okay, that's quite interesting when there were Ninja Turtles and it was quite interesting. We never played it. We just kind of liked the idea. So I kind of liked that. I, I was never, I think I was, I'm too old by this point. I'm nearly 18. So I think I'm just a bit too old for... The turtle shell didn't fit quite as well as it used no, to. No, it really didn't. No, no. I was like, no, I can't I can't quite fit into it's, it's it like, It's like a full-grown adult with a bowler hat on his back. It didn't have the same effect. No, it was too tight. Um, so, you know, no, I never really watched them at this point. I think I'd, I, they were just a bit too late for me, though. So. Same, same difference. The only thing that baff- always baffled me was the whole Ninja Turtles versus Hero Turtles. And this was a peculiarity to the UK initially. And I found an interesting website about it. I won't go on about it here, but go and read it. It's, it's called From Band Nunchucks to Sausage Links, Why the UK Hated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And from Den of Geek. It's pretty it's short, but it's pretty interesting. And the main footnote was that obviously this was on the back of a whole series of things that would happen through the 80s in the UK around the yeah. idea of children being exposed to violence yeah. and in whatever form that may take. And then there was a series of things that happened in terms that certain things got, films got banned and then certain, not toys, but certain weapons got, it made me laugh that there was like a period where they banned certain weapons. So they banned knuckle dusters, sh- uh, shuriken stars. And you're thinking that they probably should have been banned, really. Why weren't they? Not generally a good idea to have kids buying shuriken stars, you know, just call me old fashioned. But that said, they, so they banned all that thing, and then then it became it got went down that road that we always go down where it goes too far. So yeah, okay, mm-hmm. taking weapons off the streets and knives always a good thing to do. No, absolutely no question about that. That's you know a very important thing. But banning the word ninja and then they became obsessed with taking ninjas out, which surprised me when you think about all the you know, ninja assassin and all the assassin books, and American and ninja and stuff and things like that. In the- 
But they became obsessed with this being for kids. And it was about, you know, we've got to protect the kids. So they changed the word ninja to hero turtles, which meant changing the theme tune, which meant changing the context of the cartoon, which meant changing Donatello's weaponry because he had nunchucks and you weren't allowed to have nunchucks. Um, so in that essence, then they um, they used, uh, they used changed the, what the animation was and they cut him out of certain things. And so it just changed the nature of it. And then after all that crazy banning, they released the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film, to which everyone in the UK must, and across Belgium and other areas where they changed it for Hero Turtles probably went, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Makes no sense. And, and I never liked it anyway. So, you know, uh, Talking Turtles, Pizza Eating Turtles. Nah, not for me. This is up there with Samurai Pizza Cats. Nah, thanks. You can keep that. Keep it to yeah. yourself. It's okay. Not for me, dude. Fourth <laughs> um, of January, one foot in the grave. <laughs> don't don't I you believe don't it? Believe it. <laughs> to say That's it, as much yeah. as I know about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's Victor Melder in it. It's basic. I, I can't. Richard, what's his face? I can't remember his name. Uh, um, what is his name? I literally cannot remember his name. Um, it'll come to me uh, when I look at the Wikipedia no, page. Probably. Richard Wilson. Have a look. So it's Richard Wilson. This is a classic sort of British sitcom. Ran for ten years, nineteen ninety to two thousand. Um, had this big old catchphrase, I don't believe it, bad things happen to him, strange stuff yeah. would happen. There's the classic one, he just pick up the cat as a phone um, and gets all startled by it and things like that. Yeah, it's, just, yeah, it's, yeah. Just an, it's just an old person who can't, you know, bad things happen to. And yep. then, but that's always a uh, you know, comedy gold in the, in the UK. I never particularly liked it. Well, it wasn't, I wasn't the market, shall we say. I was not the market for this, uh, for this. But, uh, but no, a lot of people did no. like it. It was crazy yeah. popular. My dad loved it. He loved it. But then it's one of those shows where it just one it's a succession of unfortunate events that lead on to a fortunate events. It's the chain of events thing, isn't it? And the knock-on yeah, yeah. effect of doing something. You no. Know, he would hammer hammer a pen, uh, you know, he'd be putting pictures up. And then in order to put the pictures up, he would need nails. And he would get a nail and hammer it through and it'd pop mm-hmm. something on his neighbor's thing. And it's just stuff like that in you know, a series of unfortunate events. Similar to the TV show Chance in a Million that we talked about a million years ago, but that was about Tom Chance who really strange occurrences just happened around him. He just was very either lucky or peculiar things happened. It's that kind of idea, but they stretched it out for a while, didn't they? Blimey, 10 years. Yeah, you always know as well, it became like a flagship BBC Christmas product. It was always a Christmas one, wasn't there? Christmas Christmas special. It is considered a classic. And the the bits I've seen every night, it's chuckle-worthy TV maybe, the bits I saw, but I've never sat and watched an entire series of episodes or anything of it. It, I always put it in the same um, bracket as the um, Hyacinth Bouquet one. Yes, yes, yeah, it's keeping up appearances, yeah, same sort of yeah, thing. Same sort of thing. Uh 6th of January is Waterfront Beat. <sighs> a BBC television police procedural drama series. Uh the series Exciting. follows the work of a group of police detectives stationed in the Liverpool docks. Of they are. Waterfront Beat, made by Phil Redmond, who did uh, Brookside and Grange Hill and stuff. It was a BBC's first attempt to rival The Bill following a similar weekly format. Clearly didn't work. No, absolutely didn't. But there's a challenge for you. In your best Liverpoolian accent, say, <laughs> no. you're under arrest. <laughs> no, I'm not doing <laughs> go it. Go on, try no. it, go on. No, go on. I can't. <laughs> no, I can't. I'm trying. I'm th- I can't do it. <laughs> Call yourself a Liverpool fan and you can't even do that. I do, so. and that's why I wouldn't I wouldn't insult them with my attempt at their accent. Not an insult. It's, you it find it be. funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. But no, I'd, ne- I'd never heard of it. It must have come and gone, that one, Waterfront Beat. Sounds like the sort of thing Phil Redmond would get into. Yeah, what didn't come and go, though, on 6th of January was Baywatch. Baywatch yes. started. <laughs> Here we go, Baywatch. I've just written, stupid show is stupid, but boobs. Many boobs, many, many boobs. No, I did some analysis, Adrian. I took time to do this because I thought it was important. Very, very important analysis that took me a long time. You put a link in our show notes to the season one intro. I did, And I watched yeah. the season one intro. It's, it's pretty much exactly two minutes. 
And I watched that intro and I was like, wow, okay, that's, it surprised me. It wasn't the Baywatch music I remembered. And it featured a lot more, you know, manly men doing manly men running and stuff like that. And I remembered it being a lot more booby. So I was like, well, did I remember it wrong? Is this, so I thought I'd check it. So I thought, well, let's check into, that's season one. Let's see what season two's intro was like. Season two's intro was slightly more like, you remember it. So it's got the Baywatch music, you know, I was like, okay. And that had, so season one had five shots of boobies slash bikinis slash semi-clad naked women's bodies in it. Five, five shots Mm -hmm. in edited succession, but five. Season two, the intro sequence, this is in two minutes, remember, had 10, (laughs) 10 shots. (laughs) Season three, version one, because there's two versions of the intro there, had 13 shots of same boobs and bikinis and bodies in the same two minutes. Season three, version two, 15 shots of scantily clad Pamela Anderson and Nicole Egger and all the others mm-hmm. running along and jumping and diving and all the rest of it. And I, I didn't go into the season three, version three, if there was one or <laughs> season four, season five, because somebody's done that. And I'll, I'll find the link and put it in YouTube where somebody has compared every single intro of every Baywatch, put them all back to back. So you can count the boobies. There's a lot of them in there if you want to do that kind of thing. I guess they found out what made that show popular. What they figured, it wasn't burly men running on the beach. It wasn't Something David Hasselhoff. Well, he's in every single opening sequence, but he, he rapidly becomes not the main thing. Let me no, tell you, exactly. after season one, it kind of goes downhill for him. Well, it got harder and harder for him to suck his stomach in uh, while yeah, well, they, they Well, they use the, the the season one intro footage of him is the footage they always use, apart from it changes to him being on a boat looking kind of mean. And the, the footage of Billy Warlock changes for him looking kind of... <laughs> Billy camp. Baywatch. Billy Girl, Baywatch. Billy Baywatch. So <laughs> it, it looks kind of camp to looking, you know, to him trying to tough it out and punch in a punch bag. And after that, it's just a succession of all the various bikini models that were in it. Yeah, Erica Leniak, Carmen Electra. Yeah, well, she she's so not in, she's comes much later, but it's mainly season three. Obviously, that's where they discover Pamela Anderson. And by yeah. season three, that's why they made a version two of the credits, I'm telling you. <laughs> and added two more shots in. They did. <laughs> that take 30 seconds. <laughs> Those two other shots were Pamela Anderson. There you go. You know, they knew what the boys wanted. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And it was made famous, wasn't it, on Friends as well? I mean, they were always watching it on Friends. Yeah, Friends Friends made it famous. Yeah, they're running. They're always the The running. They're just Uh, running. (laughs) Running. 8th of January from Baywatch, you could have gone to watch Nelly the Elephant. Yeah. Who cares? No. 9th of January, (laughs) The Secret Cabaret. This is a weird thing. It's some kind of weird magic show. Um, Do you remember it? I don't really remember Vaguely. Um, It it was all right. It reminds me of the kind of Darren Brown type act. Yeah, very much. Yeah, the one I sort of watched. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Those kind of things are always impressive and interesting to watch. I remember it vaguely, but I think I'm mixing it with Derrin Brown stuff, so. Yeah, maybe. Because it was praised for giving a new and shocking twist to the presentation of illusions. There we go. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Uh, well, the, the one I've linked to, they sort of thing that like some strange dream sequence from a bad film. Yeah, the, the, you know, it's, it's all got a bit weird, hasn't it, for that kind of thing. But yeah. this is Channel 4, Joe, and it's, you know, this is when they start to push the boat out with that experimental TV again, so this be Interesting is enough. I remember it vaguely, vaguely remember it. Um, carrying on, uh, 10th of January, oranges are not the only fruit. This was a They're controversial, not. this was a controversial piece when it was came out. I seem to remember. It was indeed. Yeah, it was a bit. Yeah. Deals with lesbianism. Can't have that in a Christian it society. Does. What's that all about? No. Yeah. Sounds very complicated. It's Pentecostal evangelists. Yeah. Won the best, did win the BAFTA award for best drama series. Yeah, yeah, it's, I imagine it's very good. I just, you know, Pentecostal evangelists sounds like Warhammer characters to me. So. <laughs> they do. I'm not messing now. That's no disrespect. I love Warhammer. Are you a space marine? <laughs> uh, <laughs> in Accrington. No. <laughs> 13th of January, Yellow Thread Street. Another television oh, police God. drama. 
<laughs> this focuses on a group of detectives in the Royal Hong Kong Police. Of course uh, it does. It ran until April. Yeah. <laughs> That's that. 21st of January, <laughs> Tarrant on TV. So this is when Tarrant took over. This was basically called on T because it started in 1982 with Clive James doing it. It did, yeah. Um, And it's essentially what this is. It's a long-running late-night television program on ITV. The program um, featured a number of clips from unusual or often unintentionally amusing television programs and commercials from around the world. It did. Basically, like, aren't those foreigners a bit funny and weird? Yeah, look at the quirky foreign TV in that. Yeah, look at them. They're doing weird things. Look, he's he's eating a... a a snail Mm. and uh people would laugh and then this this is when it came back because chris tarrant took it over it was presented by keith floyd for a while in 1989 yeah very he's probably drunk during it so who knows definitely it's just one of those shows which just you know laugh at the weird tv from or strange tv that was at the time from other parts of the world Mm. uh 27th of january haggard um is the (laughs) what the presenter's on the uh, Commonwealth <laughs> Games look like. I <laughs> uh, don't know what this was. It, oh, yeah, no. it's, a, it's a crap. Um, sounds like a shit Blackadder. Yeah, ITV shit Blackadder, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally it's does. series is set during 1777. The Georgian area was about the exploits of Squire Haggard, the Squire's 25-year-old son, Roderick, and their servant, Grunge. Yeah, I would be starred, watching that. I'd be watching Blackadder. <laughs> yeah, it starred Keith Barron. I was like, I turned oh, off at that point. No, exactly. No, no. <laughs> For those who don't know who Keith Barron is, count yourself lucky. Yeah, duty duty free. free. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no, I'm not watching the Barron. He ended up didn't end up in a soap opera as well. I think one of the soaps. So get away, Barron. Everyone did. Everyone back off, Barron. (laughs) You're a madman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's it. That's it for TV. Um, What a dreary load of shite that was. Right. Okay. January. That's what it is. Um, In the world of film, fifth of January, you could have gone seen the last exit to Brooklyn. Never seen it. I've seen the box. I've seen the case many times in the video shop. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. That's true. I've seen the box. Yeah. Never am I going to watch that film. Then there was Mystic Pizza. Never watched it. I've seen the no. video box though. Yeah, this was. We're strolling down the shelves that nobody wanted here. <laughs> Absolutely. It's got the Isle of Shite. This is what <laughs> down the Isle of Shite. Twelfth of January, Parenthood. Oh no. This is when uh, Steve Martin had moved into his uh, sort of middle of the road. Father of the period. Bride. Parenthood, yeah. rubbish. It, it, it still do thing at this point. Um, uh, what's the one? Serrano de Bergerac one. Yeah, uh, Ro- he did Roxanne. that. Roxanne. Yeah. Is it Roxanne? Roxanne, yeah, yeah. So he'll do that. And it, uh, just an LA story as well. So, but yeah. he's in that period where he would move into things like um, Sergeant Bilko yeah, and, um, and his version of uh, Pink Panther. Don't even talk about that. <laughs> I won't, but it was there. No. Parenthood, crap, dreary family comedy drama, which is always crap. Uh, Tom yeah. Filson, I think, as well, doesn't it? I think so, yeah. I, I, long lost druggy son. I don't know, rubbish. I went yeah. to sit, yeah, I think he's in it as well. Um, Keanu Reeves, I think. Yeah, famously, though, it, the the trailer for it pitched it as like a madcap family comedy a la yeah. National, National Lampoon's Vacation. Guess and it was far from it. went to the cinema. Yeah, I thought you might. <laughs> I did. I, I was like, I, was, I liked, um, you know. You were I drunk still, with power. I was still hoping that, <laughs> that Steve Martin would recover some of his, uh, you know, Mama Two no. Brains, The Jerk, no. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, no, all that no, kind of stuff. No, th- those those things were long. Just a just a memory. Yep. Uh, yep. You could have gone and seen Ladder of Swords on twelfth of January. Never heard of it, and the image looked like Martin Show just woken up. <laughs> she probably had. If you didn't fancy that, another comedy, another comedy. You could have watched Turner and Hooch. Aye, Tom Hanks in it. 
Yeah, Tom Hanks and Big Dog. Yeah, it's a Bew Dog film, isn't it? No, yeah. Buddy, Buddy Dog, a Buddy Dog movie, a Bew Dog. I'd never liked any of them, any of them, none of them. Turner and Hooch, K9, there's loads of them. Yeah. It's just, you know, who can we, what can we partner with? Which, like I said, was always the great piss take in uh, Last Action Hero. Hey, who's with the cartoon cat? <laughs> but it's not my cup of tea. Kids movie, really, predominantly in it, that one. Uh, and then you could have watched In Country. Yeah, I've never seen it, I never will. No, it's Bruce Willis film, isn't it? It's, is yeah. it a Vietnam vet one? I don't know. Uh, yes, it is that one, actually. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. The, it's the Appalachian one, isn't it? So there'll be dodgy accents abound. Yeah, and it's got a mustache. Bruce Willis doing Appalachian, yeah, Appalachian accents, and no, no. No. 19th of January, you could have watched Jesus of Montreal. No. I Again, <laughs> no, I, seemed to, no. I remember at the time this was getting a lot of talk around sort of people who like to use lots of big words about it being very worthy and stuff, but it was yeah, always I like, a, it. no, not for me. No, no. 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 Twenty uh, sixth of January. Um, I went to the cinema to see this. Could have gone to see Black Rain. Yeah. No. Dreary. <laughs> Just dreary. <laughs> it's a really. I mean, it sounds quite interesting, doesn't it? It's like um, yeah. Uh, Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia has got a, a member of some the accusers in it. Yeah, accusers stuff Jap- back to Japanese back accusers, to uh, it, yeah. Tokyo, I think, and then the accusers get involved. Yeah. and Someone gets yeah. their head cut off very slowly in a bike. Yeah. Bit. And then, but the slowly. hair, the hair is massive. Michael oh. Douglas's hair in this film. He's gone He's gone full on um, a Lethal Weapon. Yeah, Gibson Lethal, lethal weapon. weapon. He's stupid. I mean, I, I just, no. As you've rightly written, he's uh, so much style in this, he forgot about the substance, Ridley Scott. Yeah. He did. It's an apt <laughs> description. Tedious and massive hair. They're not the reviews he wanted. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't fancy that, you should have really gone seen Casualties of War. That's what I should have gone seen. Do you know, I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, you know, and it that's just good. an omission. You know, I'm working my way through a load of war movies at the moment, so I don't doubt come across it, but yeah. It's very much, um, it's good. It lacks a bit of subtlety. Um, and that the fact of like the, because essentially what it is, is Sean Penn and, and Michael mm-hmm. Michael Fox is commanding officer and they kidnap this female villager and then do unspeakable things. And then Michael J. Fox won't have any part of it, but the team turn against him and then... There's a lot of shots in rain, I seem to remember. Um, but I think it just it just lacks a little bit of um it's a bit one note. Mm. Um, but it's all right. It's all right. It's better it's good De Palma rather than bad De Palma. Yeah. Um, but it's been a while since I watched it, but I do remember thinking it was all right. Um and then something I've never heard of, Yabba. <laughs> Yabba. Is it love with me? Yabba. <laughs> I'm not knocking the film or anything. I've just never heard of it. Never heard of it. No, it's no. not. Didn't come. Didn't come to my cinema that one. No, certainly didn't. And there you go. That's it. That's yeah. a really boring month of telly and films. Dry January. Yeah. God. But then I it mean, wasn't the booze. It was the TV. <laughs> yeah, you'd have nothing to do. It'd be crap weather. You'd be back at school. You'd bought me your trousers. It'd be soaking every day. You'd. Oh, yeah. It's just rubbish. What a rubbish yeah. month. You could come Ugh. back and watch a good episode of Haggard. No. <laughs> Keith Barron's always watchable. No. No more Bob's Full House to keep you amused. Terrible, yeah. terrible month. Let's move no. along. Let's leave that. No more January. Let's get on. We've got three more games still to come, and we'll get to them after this short break. And here we go. Last part for January 1990. Kick off the decade. Um, three more games still to get through. And Graham, you're up first. Tell, well, is this Hero Warriors? <laughs> no, it's Ninja Warriors. <laughs> You're not allowed to say the word ninja. Just beep it out in post. <laughs> I might for joke. So this was uh, £9.99 full price. Mm. It scored 79%. Okay. Mm. <laughs> uh, publisher is Virgin Mastertronic. The developer was Random Access. The coder was Warren Mills. No relation, of course. He no. did Silkworm. Graphics are by Ned Langman. He did Hades Nebula. And Robert Whittaker, who did Street Cred Boxing. 
Mm. Uh, I would say the, some of the visuals in that were okay. Yeah, the punch bag bit. And yeah. then not the yellow trousered gang. No, not them bits. And then, no, not them. And then the musician here is Tony Williams. He did the music for Droids and for Bob's Full House, the C64 game. So we, we know it's coming at some point. Oh, yeah. Great. It's not, it's Great. not gone. It's not gone. <laughs> anyway, guess what? Guess what? what? So Ninja Warriors is a side-scrolling beat-up video game developed and released by... Potato! Yes, it's an arcade conversion in 1987. Uh, now, the original arcade game situated one display... In, now, by the way, this hurt my brain trying to figure, trying to visualise this. So, the original arcade game situated one display in between projected images of two other displays, creating the appearance of a triple wide screen. Triple wide... Triple wide... sits there shaking his head. No, no. No. It's the dream game of Calibos here. So Triple screen. In Japan, Game Machine listed the Ninja Warriors on the April 1st, 1988 issue as being the third most successful upright arcade unit of the month. And then it went on, believe it or not, to become Japan's eighth highest grossing dedicated arcade game of 1988. So got a pretty popular sort of thing going on really, don't they? Triple screen. Triple screen. <laughs> anyway, uh, the ports were released for home systems, including the Amiga, Atari ST, ZX Spectrum, Columbus 64, Amstrad CPC, PC Engine, and Sega Mega CD. Ooh, not the Mega Amstrad. Drive? Not the Mega Drive? Uh, anyway, I'm going to read the instructions because they descend into chaos and crazy, and I think we have to go through that. And I, I just have to because it made me laugh a lot. So, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now, bear in mind that the nature of this game is a side-scrolling beat So just remember, in the back of your mind, have that in the back of your mind, remember. It's there. It's there. Many years ago, the young bangler... Is that his name or is that his profession? <laughs> ...embarked on a political career. A good-natured and mild-mannered fellow, he quickly gained the support of electors and was voted into office. Within a few months, Bangler realised that he liked power and set his heart to obtaining it at any cost. Bangler. Gradually, <laughs> Bangler... Gradually, his motivations, like his methods, changed for the worse. The idealistic young would-be politician slowly turned into a power-crazed monster. Harnessing the power of corrupt individuals with the police force and army, Bangla's rise was meteoric. Bangla, stop saying Bangla. Bangla's ro- <laughs> Bangla rose steadily through the ranks of local Bangla. government. <laughs> National you, Bangla. Government, <laughs> and eventually won a seat on the world government. The world government? The, the world, world government. government? There's a world government now. Bangla. He's- his final alliance with the International Criminal Fraternity tipped the scales in his favour. Bangler finally succeeded in becoming President of the World. Does that mean you blow up half the world? Bangler. President of the World? Is that even a thing? President Bangler. The next section is called Revolutionary Fervour. Okay, now just wow. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, right, prepare yourself because I think as the guy was writing this, the person, sorry, let's not assume, as the person was writing this. They descend into crazy. All right, I'm just telling you now because, believe me, you'll know it. Anyway, so revolutionary fervor. Democracy rapidly crumbled. Once Bangler seized control of the planet, he was hardly likely to run the risk of standing in another election now that he had schemed his way to the top. A few idealistic fellows continue to argue the merits of free elections and true representation of the people, but one by one they disappeared in mysterious but always bloody circumstances. Now Bangla's corrupt policemen and soldiers patrol the streets of every town and city on the globe, snuffing out the spark of dissent before the flames of revolution can catch. Very poetic. The cause of good is not totally lost, however. A research scientist by the name of Mulk... (laughs) Mulk and Bangla? Sounds like the worst buddy cop movie ever. (laughs) Mulk still controls a vast underground laboratory set up by a... <laughs> set up by a previous world government to research into robotics. What? 
What is this? Wait, wait. It gets better. Mulk and his staff are inspired by revolutionary fervour. Well, Bangler did cut off their research grant the moment he took power, remember? (laughs) That's that's, that's actually written in there. And they have decided that it is time to rid the world of the big bad guy. In the image of man... Big bad Bangler. (laughs) In the image of man, Mulk and his mates have created two assassination machines. Not from clay, but from the finest (laughs) molybdenoed titanium. What? What is this? <laughs> These robotic are ninjas <laughs> are the ultimate in programmable killing kit. The ultimate in killing kits anyway. <laughs> I'm reading this verbatim. Mulk's team of scientists doesn't include programmers. <laughs> so the ninjas have to be controlled <laughs> manually from a console that links into their servo systems via a high-band microwave link. Wow. I told you it starts, it starts to lose the plot. Mulk has sent his robo-killers onto the surface and they're on a mission to rid the planet of its evil ruler. The long road to Bangla's fortified mansion awaits. So the next section starts to really lose the plot, and it's called the Bangladesh. <laughs> isn't, that a pl- isn't that a place? Bangladesh. Yeah, this is the Bangladesh. It's very similar to your Bangladesh in many ways. So Mulk has, has dele- delegated the task of controlling his ninja killers to you. Sitting in front of the control console, your first task is to get the hang of ninja operation, RTFM, as they say in the trade. Done that? Right. <laughs> Let's b- let battle commence. Five zones have to be penetrated on the journey to Bangla's hideout, armed only with flesh-rending knives and a supply <laughs> of magic-combating shuriken stars. The two robotic killers have to be controlled with a fine degree of precision if the mission to murder Bangla is to succeed. Bangla's <laughs> henchmen... <laughs> Bangla's henchmen are dotted throughout all six levels. Dodge and kill Bangla's ruthless troops who are armed with knives, guns and grenades and watch out for the killer dogs from the Barky Brigade. Oh, God, what is this shit? <laughs> Who wrote this? Just when things are going well, Bangla's magicians are likely to transport a seriously hard opponent into your part of the world. The magicians have some serious surprises in store, including the hunchback ground sniper. <laughs> <laughs> There's always the hunchback ground sniper. <laughs> Ninja sword lady, iron arm... Fire breather, sniper bats, <laughs> sniper bats, <laughs> and three SVOs. That's laser firing droids to you and me, and a giant tank. <laughs> oh, the hunch background snipers. Conflict commences in a slum zone where death stalks the streets. Then the combat moves onto the military base. At night, as night falls. The route to Bangla's lair takes our robo-heroes onto the mean city street. Then it's onto the final stages. In order to penetrate the high security of Bangla's mansion, the dynamic duo need to tarry a while in the <laughs> sewers before facing up to the evil fat one himself. <laughs> it, gets Bangla. it gets weirder from here on in, honestly. Sharp reflexes, a oh, will God. to win, and an uninterruptible high-band microwave link are the keys to success. Or the Spanish Inquisition. That's so true about many things. <laughs> Mulk has provided the Robo Ninjas and the control equipment. Can you provide the rest? I don't right. know. Right. Now, this is where it gets really wild here. It says, packaging notation. Seriously bad geezer in town. I don't know what this really means. <laughs> and it just says, in 1993, to be an individual is to be uh, dead. The totally evil master geek, sorry, politician, Bangler, has serious power going down in town. All the fuzz and squaddies are his butt. So is the underworld. You are Mulk, pal. And as the totally wicked revolutionary for the read only, 
you are going to build two assassination machines, the Ninja Warriors, and attempt to chill out this Bangla guy with knives, shurikens, and some bad posse hit movement. Six levels mush <laughs> have turned stock Fiori's two-player oriental upbeat action. Mentally, that's honest <laughs> to God what's in there. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I thought I was going to win with Double Dragon 2, but I don't think I am now. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely wild. Goodness me. You know, anyway... I can assure you that all of the content that's ably described that doesn't feature in this. I'm sad to say you're not going to come across many hunchback snipers or anything like that here. So, no. so the game then on the C64 after all that crazy. So to add to the ever-expanding list of side-scrolling beat-em-ups on the C64, here comes the latest one. Surprise, surprise, it inherits all the usual issues, but predominantly mediocrity. The title screen of the game will welcome you. Lots of text and an okay rendition of the arcade music, I suppose. You'll start the game, level one will load in, and you will see a medium res-like city background akin to every side-scrolling beat-em-up there's ever been. Actually looked alarmingly like Vigilante, if you ask me. In fact, strikingly like it. Giant car in the garage, etc, etc, etc. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. You control your ninja with the joystick, obviously via microwave link. Left, right <laughs> is, uh, is walk left and right. There's a heroic leap you can do, which makes him leap really far. It's like a, like a power leap. Like, faster, ah, faster than the scroll can cope guys. with. <laughs> faster than the scroll and faster than running. Um, you've got yeah. a fire button that uses your ninja stars. And so you know the drill by now. You walk left and right. Enemies will walk on from either side of the screen and you try and try and get you. Some fight, some fire guns, some are more elaborate and jump about. It's Kung, it's Kung Fu Master all over again. That's just basically that. Not a very good version of that again. So think that and you're not far off. Mm-hmm. Graphics for the backgrounds vary a lot. There's some that are okay. And I'm saying okay being kind, but... There's some that are okay, but most aren't. There's at least an attempt to add some details on things, which I did like. So torn posters on the walls, cracked windows in the window frames. Little details like that do make the background have a little bit more scene, a bit more life. It's not just big slabs of colour. And okay, credit where credit's due, I'll give you that. There's pavement details, objects, you know, skylines, that kind of thing. But it's, you know, though it's all in medium res, there's some attempts at shading and to give it atmosphere. Credit for you for trying to do that. And what's there is far from fabulous, but I suppose it provides an adequate backdrop. Your player looks a bit more motor mechanic, I thought, than ninja. <laughs> it does a bit. <laughs> I mean, he does seem to move in a kind of ninja-like way. I guess he kind of sort of scuttles and I don't know. There's a really funny bit where you can wake him walk and crawl at the same time while well, he sort of he squats down and he kind of shuffles forward like a dog with worms <laughs> it's a bit weird but you can do that if you want i you know i spent more time doing that probably for the wrong reasons really but anyway probably. so he, he walks like a ninja i guess and you can perform leaps and jumps and fight things like a bee yeah he does <laughs> like a bee rough like a ninja yeah. the sprites the animations again very medium rares with some of the enemies just kind of being a different version of your sprite in a different color reminded me of ninja the old game ninja that yeah. Um, had that kind of vibe about it. Um, they move fairly quickly, but there's very limited fire moves such as they are, and they, they don't really have much of an impact on you, and you'll quickly get overwhelmed and work through your lives in the game. It's not There's not much to it. And the, again, that's kind of it. The UI is t- text on the screen, though it's not much. It's similar. The arcade's got a sort of a very basic appeal and arcade kind of vibe. And it is an arcade conversion from seemingly another obscurish arcade. It's not one I'd come across knowingly Ninja Warrior anywhere. No. It is in that kind of site. You know, we've seen so many of them. Rolling Thunder type idea, that side scrolling. Not, not as good as that, but that kind of note. We've seen it, we've seen loads of them. So I guess what you can say about this really is it's dull and playable, maybe, but this is just you know another classic case of boring begets boring. I like some side scrolling beat ups with the best of them, but this is just one of those. It never gets very exciting. It's not very interesting. I looked at the arcade. That was particularly boring and pedestrian. There's mm-hmm. nothing really exciting about them. And there's loads of the better ones that start to really appear. You know, we're not that far away from Final Fight and all the others. And, you know, this is just not a very good version of any of these. I suppose we can at least be thankful for one thing, and that's that we didn't have an Amstrad or a Spectrum, because their <laughs> versions are horrific. 
in ways that I can't explain, <laughs> yeah, especially Amstrad the Amstrad one. Is, Jesus. <laughs> the, the Amstrad one is an abomination. It's like, you know, yeah. it, that made me feel sorry for Amstrad owners. It's very rare that happens, but I felt, felt sorry for them. I felt like casting demons out of that thing. The skin was so bright pink. <laughs> I was like that bit in, what's it, um, Signed? The bit where a whacking phoenix sees the alien <laughs> yeah, sort of yeah, backs yeah. away from the telly. He's like, hey! yeah, yeah. Ah! <laughs> oh, me, as soon as that, As soon as I did that, I thought, I better put tinfoil hat on as well, just in case. <laughs> So this game should have scored, what What did it get? It got uh, 79%. No way. This is a 50, 50s. 15% worse than retrograde. Yeah, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's not no, 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 no. This is 50s all the way. It's, it's a very average game anyway, and this isn't a very good conversion. It's not terrible. It's average all the way. Boring begets boring. This is a perfect example of that. Maybe some redeeming features for some background details, which were okay. But everything else, boring. And it's just that this game is boring. And I think the problem is, without the big graphics and sprites of a Final Fight and all the Capcom, you don't need a lot of arcade razzmatazz, but you just got to have all the pixel art and the characters to make these games what they are. They, they, they become what they are later. These early versions, just, they're just kind of they're not there yet. And this C64 version, it's a dull version of one of them. So dull begets dull begets dull. Not my cup of tea, this. And I do like these kind of games, but not this one. What about you? Yeah, stop getting Kung Fu Master wrong. <laughs> just don't, why do it, do it? Um, why do they keep doing it but I did I actually played the arcade it stuck MAME on I've got it on MAME so I tried it on there it's like a, it's actually more like a very flat very wide version of Green Beret but the thing is as well is it's so one note you just walk walk to the right and swing swipe yeah. there's nothing else to this nothing no. it's weird I guess it was novel in the arcade because of its super wide display and I kind yeah. of guess that's what they've tried to replicate here aren't they because it takes place in the middle of the screen but it yeah. doesn't look wide it just looks like you haven't got much room um, you put it onto the home computer, all you're left with is a blocky, boring Kung Fu Master Green Beret wannabe, and that's five years later. Issue 16, we looked at Green Beret, and God knows when it was we looked at Kung Fu Master. They're <laughs> ages old and much better. Just levels and stuff are boring. There's some okay animation, I guess. It's kind of reminiscent of the arcade game, and all the constituent bits are there. As having played it, I could, oh, that's them, are there? oh, that's that bit, all right. But the arcade, as you've rightly said, was boring. Boring. Very little in the way of lasting appeal beyond those visual aspects. When you strip them away, I've said it time and time again, walking right and stabbing people constantly, very, very boring and tiresome. Another another incredibly pointless port. Just anything is, you know, what, what's that? You've got, what's that you've got over there? Ninja Warriors, we'll have it. We'll have it. Port it. Get some yeah. men on it. Get yeah, some people yeah. on it. It's got ninjas get, get on it. Get that ported. Get that ported and we'll get it out there. People will buy it. 10 quid. Tell the magazines if they don't give it at least a sort of positive, you know, plus 75%, we're going to withhold advertising and so yeah. on and so forth. Rubbish. I didn't good. like this at all. I, I think you'd be, I think you'd be a bit generous. I would have put it in the thirties, forties. I think it's rubbish. Yeah, no, I'm happy. I'd happily concede to that. No problem whatsoever. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying it is nowhere near the score they gave it. No, nowhere near. No, not in cat and else champ. There's, there's yeah. hero warriors. Um, let's move along quickly. To another. Another arcade port. This this part is all arcade ports. We're in arcade. We're down the arcades here. Um, not the good arcade, yeah. but the shit arcade. This is Double Dragon 2. Mm, £9.99. <laughs> well, this got 72%. Right. Okay. okay. Another arcade conversion drifts through our transom. And this is another one that I'm not sure I was ever really aware of. Didn't even know there's no. a Double Dragon 2. Rings no bells for me. I was like, no, no Double mean. Dragon. But no, Double Dragon 2, The Revenge, it's give it its full title. Okay. I think this is a period that seemed to be checked out of games quite heavily. So even these arcade mm. titles are all new to me. I think by the late 80s, we just weren't really doing much with games. You were doing so, other but, stuff, weren't you? You had loads yeah, of other hobbies. other loads of stuff. So also, and also with the horror that was Double Dragon on the C64, I'm not sure what I was expecting here, but you know, it got 72%. 
generally positive reviews on Lemon, so I went in with an open mind to see how this one fared. This was originally released in North America and Japan in 1988 and 1989 in Europe. In Japan, Game Machine listed Double Dragon 2 The Revenge on their April 1st, 1989 issue as being the seventh most successful table arcade unit Mm. of the month. Seventh. So this C64 version was published by Virgin Mastertronic, developed by Binary Design. I was curious. Binary Design. What did they do? What did they do? They did ARG. (laughs) <laughs> they did Double Dragon yeah. they did Droids they did Grange Hill they did Inspector oh, yeah, they Gadget did. oh my gosh yeah, Feud wasn't it they did Feud <laughs> there's, a, there's a cavalcade of uh, quality oh, God Inspector Gadget no, my lord <laughs> but none of them to be fair this was actually programmed with someone different this program, so Binary Design I think are just the developer just the, this just was programmed, the brand yeah. yeah this was programmed by Mike Hutchinson he was not responsible for any of those games he did Bomb Jack 2 which okay, was okay was right. That was all right. But he will actually go on to do the C64 versions of Final Fight and Hard Driving. Um, oh, okay. Which are not supposed to be very good. But in the here and now, he's converted Double Dragon 2. He's got graphics by Rory Green. He's a bit of an elite veteran, he is. He's got graphics on Commando, Ikari Warriors, Bomb Jack, and Space Harrier to his name. There you go. Okay. And music here is by Dave Lowe, who did the music for Power Drift. So there is some hope here that's maybe better than the first game. So anyway, there is a story... And I don't know if I can follow the last one, but we'll try. This is the <laughs> this is the story for Double Dragon Two. Okay. There's two bits in this that made me laugh like a schoolgirl, but we'll we'll get to them. Or <laughs> a small boy. The story continues. Things didn't go too well after all when the Black Warriors gang kidnapped Marion and sparked off the previous expedition onto the city streets. Her sweetheart Billy Lee saved the day with the help of his brother Jimmy. Billy managed to rescue Marion and dispose of the evil leader of the Black Warriors, a gun-toting villain by the name of Willie. At the end of Double Dragon 1, the city streets had been rendered a much safer place with the Black Warriors put permanently out of action, or so everyone thought. Mm. Billy and Jimmy didn't kill all the warriors. The solitary surviving members of the gang nursed, I think it's supposed to be member of the gang, nursed herself back to health and spent several years studying ancient arts of healing. At the far fringes of the ancient medical science, she studied, there is an area of what can only be called magic, magic powerful enough to reincarnate the dead. Linda, for it was she, perfected her powers of undhai or magic medicine to the point where <laughs> she had the ability to raise mortal remains of the dead. She learned how to breathe life back into the human remains left behind by souls long departed from this planet. No prizes mm. for guessing what Linda's main aim was, but first she practiced on the remains of a few dead yobbos. <laughs> lowly members of the Black Warrior gang to make sure she had the full mastery of the magic before concentrating on raising (laughs) Willie himself. (laughs) Titter. (laughs) Before the Brothers Lee realised what was happening, the Black Warriors were up to the full strength once more and back in action. And it seems Linda's early experiments produced one or two mutated gang members. Driven by a powerful urge of revenge, Sharpened by five years of being dead, Willie ordered his minions to kidnap Marion once more. Within days of his command being issued, the hapless girl found herself transported to Willie's secret base. Never a thug to make the same mistake twice, Willie immediately murdered Marion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and put her remains in a magic field conjured up by Linda, who achieved remarkably rapid promotion within the hierarchy of the Black Warriors as a result of her success in getting Willie up and about. <laughs> <laughs> Such children, honestly. <laughs> Who wrote this? Once again, the twins set out on a quest to rescue Marion, but this time their mission is likely to be even more complicated. Starting out in the city's heliport, Billy and Jimmy have to battle their way down a lift shaft, 
into and through a warehouse and out into the open countryside. Fighting their way up a cliff, they reach a hilltop where a door to Willie's secret base is hidden. Marion's body lies entombed in the centre of this hideout. To stand a chance of rescuing her and returning her soul to this world, the heroes have to kill Willie and then do battle with their own tortured souls. Only when the warriors and Willie have been defeated can the magic field that shields Marion's remains be penetrated. <laughs> the Lees are twins, but they are also the seventh son of a seventh son. So they have magical oh, no. powers bestowed on them as their Shinto birthright. Where did this come from? <laughs> when they've defeated their own souls in combat, they will draw sufficient powers from the, from the ether to enact a Shinto resurrection ceremony and restore Marion to life. With the warriors finally eradicated and Marianne restored to the peak of her health, Billy, Jimmy and Marion will pass through a portal into another space-time continuum and hopefully live a long and peaceful life together. What? <laughs> <laughs> that, I don't know. I don't hey. know. I don't know where that went, but it went. What gibberish. Just gibberish. It's just nonsense. Anyway, it's another belt scroller. This, where you control Billy or in two players, Billy and Jimmy. And you have to fight your way through hordes of enemies to rescue Marion. So when the game loads, we get a big logo and instructions to put the joystick into port one for a single player game. But pressing in port, in port two starts a two player game. Um, that's good to see, I guess. We've got both players on screen for this. Mm. Uh, if you move the joystick, you can flick to the high score table in the credits. The music playing is okay. I'm not sure if it's from the arcade, but it's not terrible. So it's an okay start. It's a decent start. Mm. Pressing fire, we get an interstitial stage of Marion being gunned down. In the arcade, it's much more brutal where it's animated. They just like they just drive up and just shoot shoot Marion dead. Like, good <laughs> lord, that's a, a violent beginning. Harsh. Um, it is. And we are told that Billy and Jimmy are pursuing the killers of Billy's girlfriend, and they were into the first level. But the first thing that greets us is the horrific sound of a garage door opening, which is a bit harsh on the ears. <laughs> it's like it's just this noise. It's just horrible. Then our hero or heroes appear. So immediately, this actually looks better than the horror of the first one. For one thing, their torso and legs are connected. That's always a good sign, Like unlike the, what they were in the first one. And it's all in medium res, unlike that sort of mm. horrible high-res overlay they used in the first one. But it may look bland and blocky, but having tested the arcade version as well, I can actually say that this is a decent C64 rendition of that arcade game. Okay, That arcade game looks exactly like this. Same amount of enemies on screen, same amount of stuff, same kind of boring backgrounds, and therein lies the problem. We're immediately beset by two enemies. Now here they're dressed in pale denim and sporting hair that is reminiscent of Campbell's meatballs. A massive hair. <laughs> the hair is thick and luxuriant, but they need to be beaten up, so let's get to it. It's just massive. The, the, whoever, they've just had a, well, we've got to fill that sprite up. Just fill it with brown. <laughs> brown. Massive hair. So... Controls are eight-way movement in that 3D environment style without the fire button pressed. With the fire button pressed, up will do jumps, either straight up or forward. Fire and the way you are facing does a kick. Fire in the opposite direction does a back elbow. Pressing the fire button on its own does a punch. If you do down and fire, you do a whirlwind kick. And if you press towards and fire whilst in the air, if you're doing a jump, you'll turn, you'll turn your jump into a jumping kick. These all work okay. fairly well. It's fairly... Um, Fairly responsive, no problem with that. And as, we, but, and, and as we beat up our first couple of enemies, we wander on. The first level is the top of a building where we make our way to a nearby lift down into Willie's factory. After the factory and a random bit of speech, it just sort of goes, that says something. <laughs> we make our way into the city and countryside before embarking on the enemy base. Bane is facing off against final challenge, who I presume is Willie himself. Should you make it through that, then you're greeted with a photo of Billy, Jimmy, and Marion. Some speech that goes, the end. <laughs> Pretty weird. It's a strange game, all told. But as a conversion, it's not bad. 
as you know, if you look at it through a C64 lens, it contains all the levels. Most of the enemies of the arcade game uh, with bosses at the end of the levels. It's got the sort of pickups and weapons you can pick up. So there's the kind of what are they call sort of maces that the women drop. There's barrels and stuff. There's mm. knives get thrown. You can pick them up and use them on them. So all that's all that's there. Everything from the arcade is here. You know, the loading's not too bad. The main issue, like you said, with Ninja Warriors, lies with the arcade original because I played that as well for this review. Fans be utterly boring and rubbish. Yep. It starts off. I mean, it starts off with a woman being gunned down, which is unpleasant. I don't think it's a great way for something to start. It's in a dam- damsel in distress. It's just a dead woman, you know, um, whatever. Yep. The levels are really boring in the arcade. Gone are all, you know. You think a double dragon, a final fight, streets of rage, and all that character and stuff like that. It's just dead dull. It's like it's like you know. The, oh, what can we do? I don't know. Just do that. It's boring. Double Dragon, we'll get by the name. So, and the action is static and lifeless. It's just dull. It's en- eventually, they've done a really decent job of porting a boring game to the system. And obviously, there's the issue, like you said, with Ninja Warriors. We've seen yeah. this in many other ports. Yeah. When you're porting a dull product, you get a dull port, dull in, dull out. And that's what you have here. Technically, it is better than the first. I'll say that. But the game is boringly dull. So, that's what we have here accomplished boredom. <laughs> Not a lot else I can really yeah. say about it. You just fight, you fight through boring levels, boring fighting with not much bore. It's just dull. Double dragon, dull. DDD. What did you think? Same. I mean, it's the same. It's so depressing when it's just like this. There's nothing interesting here. The graphics are all weirdly squat, like you say. They've got meatball hairdos. The derivations of the same problem from the arcade. An arcade that I can't, I can't honestly say I've ever really spent any time with. This game featured dreary-looking graphics, drab backgrounds. It had that horrible speckled mud in it that I don't like in these games for ground. Yeah, you yeah. Know, where they just get just where they just get the dot machine and go dot 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 dot. There you go, speckly mud. That'll do it. Throw in a few bits and bobs. The sprites look kind of lost in it. There's not many of them. It's just boring. And like like it, this, I mean, this is a problem of this arcade. Because it's just more of the same from Double Dragon. There's not a lot more about it. It's just a, con- a boring continuation. Yes, I'm sure it's got fans in the arcade. These games always tend to engender that. But it's just not a very good conversion to the C64. And it just feels like a poor compromise at best with some really weird background art and some really odd jaunty angles for things. So I didn't like it, but there's no surprise there. And what was its crazy score in Zap for this one? 72. 72? No, come on. These are average beget average, boring begets boring, dull begets dull. You're not doing anything exciting here. You know, this is no, there's nothing exciting about it. It's just dreary. So no, this is an, another average one. It's the same problem Ninja Warriors has from an arcade that nobody cared about and a conversion nobody wanted done by people that probably didn't give a shit anyway, as long as they got paid. So mm-hmm. what does it matter? No, not very good. Certainly not worth 10 quid. Save your money and don't buy it and go back in time and retroactively tell yourself that. <laughs> Very much so. There you go. Yep. Double dragon. Double dull. Yeah, yeah, double dragon, yeah. Double dull. There we go. Let's move on. We still have one more game, and uh, I think that may be worth a discussion, and we'll get to that now. And Graham, <clears throat> it's the sequel. It's a sequel to Operation Wolf. It is, according to the cover, Op Thunderbolt. <laughs> Tell us it all is. about Op Thunderbolt. Okay. So Operation Thunderbolt is from Ocean. This was £9.99 on the C64. Um, and I think it scored 92%. Is it on the C64 or is it 97%? I, I can't make it to tell us from what you've written. But it's it's a gold medal oh, got, anyway. Sorry, he got, got, got 92% for the C64 version. The Amiga got 97 hence it got a gold medal. But I think yeah, the C64 yeah. so, is a sizzler. 
So the C64 says at 92%, right. So we'll explore the nuances of that shocking bunch of crazy in a moment or two. Mm-hmm. So as I said, this is from Ocean. This is copyright potato, okay, because it's, of course, it's another arcade conversion. Obviously, the sequel to Operation Wolf. The C64 was coded by, uh, the final version was coded by Richard Palmer, John Megan, and Paul Hughes. The graphics are by Steve Thompson, Brian Flanagan, John Megan. Title screen, Steve Thompson. Music, Matthew Cannon. So the Ocean Gang were pulled in to resolve the problem of this game. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. So so just talk a little bit about Operation Thunderbolt. It was a light gun shooter video game developed by Tato and released for the arcades in 1988. As the sequel to Operation Wolf, changes included two-player gameplay with two positional gun controllers mounted on the arcade cabinet and a new forward-scrolling pseudo-3D um, perspective combined with side-scrolling sections. So, mm, you know, fancy, fancy pants, you know, mm. scaly stuff, all good. The arcade game was a commercial success and one of the top three highest grossing dedicated arcade games of 1989 in both Japan and the United States, similar to, sorry, to what Operation Wolf was. People like this kind of, these kind of, you know, these kind of gun games, they do. Yeah, they do. Versions were released for the Amiga, Commodore 64 and Super Nintendo Entertainment System, or SNES to you and me. Uh, the arcade exclusive uh, sequel, Operation 3 Wolf, was released later, so who cares about that? Like I said, in Japan, Game Machine listed Operation Thunderbolt in its February 1st, 1989 issue as the second most successful arcade unit of the month. It became Japan's second highest grossing dedicated arcade game of 1999, as I say, below Chase HQ. Okay. Um, so the way this plays out is in half of it is similar to Operation Wolf, and this is the arcade. Half of it is similar to Operation Wolf in the sense that it's a scrolling, targeted, shooting game with a piece of hardware on the front of the arcade cabinet that would fire light gun pulses at the screen and then that would be reflected and then you would shoot off the side of the screen to replace your ammo and do that. And this was a two-player version of the Operation Wolf. There was also sequences where you're going towards the screen in three, 3D, so traveling down a road on the back of a truck for one of an example, and things are going to come towards you and you're going to shoot at them. And it's like, you know, in the arcade, that's kind of fun to do that with your mates by your side. Okay, that's all good. It uses all sorts of fancy... Com- I didn't go into the hardware, but it uses all sorts of fancy hardware to do the scaling of the sprites and it's got a bit of Rasmus has it's big it's quite a big arcade quite loud so it's going to get it's going to get attention you know and it was the sequel to Operation Wolf so it had a lot of the Operation Wolf mechanisms about it so C64 version then so the just to give you a, the lowdown on what is potentially the shortest instructions and of a game ever on the C64 it says this is the instructions from the manual Roy Adams is back get the laser sight or the bulletproof vest but watch out for those air to ground missiles good luck in your mission there you go you enjoyed that so there's your instructions. That's the honest <laughs> God instructions. Okay. There you go. Here's a little bit more. It says, uh, gameplay. The player with submachine guns and rockets must shoot all the enemies who appear on screen. Remember, your, your energy and ammunition are limited, and these can only be replenished by picking up objects such as magazines and power bottles that appear on screen or are parachuted down in crates. There you go. Enjoy. Enjoy that. <laughs> right. So we've got a little bit to unpack with this because there's a saga related to this and there's a some subterfuge related to this. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll sort of deal with it. So the first thing we're going to look at is let's just look at the game. So the game has a nice loading screen. I'll give it that, okay? It has a nice bit of loading screen. It's probably one they had, they had in the back somewhere, but it is nice. The title yeah, screen is nice jaunty, screen, yeah. um, decent music, very text-heavy, but, but you can choose one or two player. That is in the C64 version, such as it is. Um, but the question is, will you want to? Because note that many of the control options for the two-player, and remember, this was, the idea of this was that you were meant to be able to plug in different hardware combinations into the C64, so yeah. the two people could actually play it either via mouse, one on joystick, or one with a light gun maybe. And and this the idea of this package was that this was going to be bundled with the C64 that had some of this hardware. It's like a like a you know they, they'd had a lot of success with the Batman bundle for the for the C64. So they bundled a lot of games with the C64 as a package. 
sold a lot of C64s, sold a lot of Ocean product. Okay. So this one then was the idea that you could start to bundle bits of hardware. So I don't know if they put a light gun in with it, something like that probably. But the problem, number one, is that the C64 doesn't work like that when it comes to its hardware. So some combinations of hardware will not work together. And there's an extensive explanation in the instructions, not extensive, but an explanation of what will work with what. And I'm not going to go through it all. I suspect two joysticks probably work okay. But a joystick and a light gun, I don't know. A mouse and a joystick, who knows? But the, the, in the reality of this was that one of the key things about it was the ability to be able to do you know, multi-hardware things. And it simply, in the time frame they had to create this finished version, they didn't really have much time to fix any of that. So it just kind of functions as, as it functions and just you know like it a lump it. Mm-hmm. So you'll start the game. And I only played this in one player. Um, but you'll start the game and all the nightmares begin from there. And this is where the game descends. Level one sees... Then you've got to get through, I think there are... Um, eight levels in total, I think. So you've got to get through eight levels and they, they alternate between, you know, 3D, pseudo 3D and side scroll. That's how it works. And I'll go through each level mm-hmm. as I found it. Level one sees enemies of enemies walking kind of towards you as you shoot at them while seemingly walking down the A46. <laughs> um, in the background, various enemies, including helicopters, will try and stop your walk. <laughs> Obviously, you'll shoot and throw grenades, bombs, whatever, in the classic tradition of Operation Wolf and these kind of things, complications arise in how you deal with your targeting. This is key problem throughout this game and a key identified problem. And I'll come to the article written by the guy that made this in a, in a while as well. Obviously, you have a laser point type thing in the arcade, so you can see we are going to shoot with a little red dot. Without this, you don't really know where you're shooting. It'll be impossible to know. So you just don't know. Unfortunately, um, in the C64 version, and this isn't really a fault of the developer, the insistence from Tato was that they kept the formatting to the same design of the arcade because that's how you play Operation Thunderbolt. So in Operation Wolf, if you remember, you had a crosshairs on the screen which you could move around and target. You don't have the luxury yes. of the crosshairs here. You don't have it. So the only way you know where you're shooting is by shooting and bullet, little bullet sort of animations, I guess ricochet-type marks, that things just appear on the screen in a kind of a put, 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 put kind of notion, like mm. dust trails, I guess. Yeah. So that's the only way you know where you're shooting in this game, by shooting. Remember, you've got your limited ammo in this game as well. You've got to find ammo and replenish it and stuff yep. like that. So you can't really do anything but spray bullets around because otherwise you don't know where you're shooting anyway. And yes, you can sort of get by. It's not a killer. It doesn't kill it, but it is a problem in a game that's principally devised around the idea of you being able to target things. This is, a, you know, this, so it becomes kind of a, it's less about the carnival type shooting and, and, and precision this is just about spraying bullets and not running out. And, and it, that changes the dynamic of the entire game massively. But we'll, we'll sort of, and it's the same in the other versions. So Potato insisted that they, because they, they, during the development of this in the lengthy 12 days that it was developed, they said to Tato, apparently, you know, we need to put crosses in because nobody can see where they're shooting. And they were like, no, that's not how you play it. So that's, so you don't have that. All right. That's not good, is it? That's not a good thing. That's not a bad good. thing. No, it's a bad thing. Top of the screen is the 3D perspective roadway in all of its gray splendor at this point with a dreary brown to red sky effect in the background, shaded with the pixel blending skills of an ape. Roadside <laughs> details, some kind of telegraph poles and phone boxes, or portaloos maybe, fidget their way towards you in attempt at 3D, while medium res colored splat soldiers run at you in a three or four glorious frame of fidgeting. They shoot at you, you shoot at them, all the way. Along the bottom is your UI, bullets, rockets, grenades, whatever, current energy and icons representing the splats you might have come across to help you like bulletproof jackets or whatever. It also displays the player 2 UI, even though when I played it, I was single player, which really wound me up. Mm-hmm. I just have the decency to take that off if you've got one player and two player. Yeah. Anyway, assuming that you make it past that, and by, by making when I say make it past, 
just living long enough to make it to the end. Doesn't really seem to be any rhyme or reason. I don't know if you sh- shoot a certain amount of enemies. No real indication of that. You just have to trundle along until it stops. Okay, yeah, yeah. And stay alive long enough. Mm-hmm. Which is hard to do because yes, they they seem to be uncannily accurate. They run at you all the time in these bad frames animation, and because they jolt and jolt in animation, you're not always you can't target them properly because by the time you've moved your put 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 target to where they be, they've already moved two frames forward, so they're not where they were. So it's mm-hmm. a bit hit and miss, say the least. Anyway, assuming you get past that, mission two begins, more akin to the Operation Wolf style. Now you're scrolling right to left as enemies float across and shoot at you, and they do float really badly. Yeah, <laughs> they just you must. They just float, sort of slide, slide across. They're obviously, they're obviously clearly on, you know, they're obviously on like skates or something. You must shoot at them with the same absence of crosshair, which means you've got no way of targeting anything properly. You're just shooting around the screen. Backgrounds also scoot across. This time, there's a grey cyan-like block of God only knows what in the background. Mountains, I guess. Some of the men will also be further back and walk across to shoot at you uh, in a terrible scaling error. And there's also some mini helicopters. And I say mini at this point because the scaling of everything in this game is completely up the shitter. So. <laughs> Assuming you just you slide along that for long enough, because you're just kind of sliding along. So I'm guessing you're on some kind of dolly. Uh, you're back to the back to the third mission, and it's the 3D road style play again. This time, the medium res trees and mountains in the background are now accompanied by a brown 3D angular perspective road. Yes, we're traveling down the brown road again, and that was never a road we wanted to be down, was it? Never. With palm trees ish things fidgeting down the sides to give you that feeling of you know movement and everything. Badly realized Jeeps, like, Jeep-like vehicles will fidget into view and take pot shots. You shoot back and keep doing that until you get to the end of that. Boring. I'm getting bored now. Very bored. <laughs> mission Very four bored. is a... It's a and this, each time it starts a mission, it has a little text that sort of tries to make it exciting. Doesn't work. Mission yeah. four is a rescue mission time. Back to the right to left, scrolling, floating enemies, and this time large and badly drawn huts with extensive topiary in the background. All plays out the same though, badly. Mission five, meant to be on a boat, I think. You've got some kind of recycled trees to sort of in the distance on some kind of coast, I think. A blue road now fills the middle as it's a river with black turds floating in it. The bow of your vessel pokes out of the bottom while some kind of enemy boat thing menaces you. Enemies will also drop on you for no reason whatsoever. It's very difficult to drop a parachute or on a moving speedboat. Just, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> as will out-of-scale enemy helicopters, which either means you're sca- sailing a cruise ship down the river or the helicopters are for tiny little clown people. Anyway... You'll survive that, I assume, and then you'll get to mission six. Um, this is the enemy base. Our headquarters move right to left, float and shoot nonsense, so it's more of that. Grey-like prison backgrounds with some people popping up in windows. Adds to an extra dimension of rubbish to this level yep. as you scoop down that. Mission seven is race down. Uh, so it's a race down some escape routes on the brown highway. This commitment to brown roads and massive out-of-scale white lines in the center is impressive. <laughs> they are enormous. They must have, they're like the biggest white lines you've ever seen on a road. It's ridiculous. They had a copious why, amount why of they white, even there? white paint. That's what they, they did. Are. What are we going to do with this? Just uh, to paint, some, paint some lines. And then you get these stupid enemy vehicles, which all have the same terrible scaling problems. So they're all these aeroplanes, helicopters, all these kind of things, jeeps, and they're all totally out of scale compared to what you're doing, which is a problem throughout the entire game. Everything is the wrong scale. Those people that jolt towards you, the soldiers, are either nine-foot-tall giants or you're a midget <laughs> by the way that it scales. And, and it's all because of a, a key problem around time to make this game. So anyway, final level, on board the world's longest passenger plane as you race yeah. down the center aisle <laughs> in a badly realized you know, a badly realized view of an interior of a, of a passenger jet with out-of-scale seats that look, look more like church pews to your left and right and brown while terrorists shoot at you in the middle. When you do get to the end, you're a terrorist and a hostage floating left to right as you try and take out the hostage, which has an oddly familiar stink to it in that kind of level. 
mm-hmm. see other ocean games where you end up with trying to shoot a terrorist from the oh, arms mean, of somebody. You mean Robocop and Untouchables? Robo, yeah. So, you know, see other game ocean games where they might have just gone, oh, we've got a level for that. Um, and also, I have to just say, I'm questioning the uh, stereotypical image that they use for a terrorist at that particular instance. So, mm-hmm. sorry, but I am not nice. So, mercifully, that's the game. That's it. All right? Yep. Graphics throughout this are rubbish. That's, there's no other way around that. They're rubbish. And aligned to the hasty timelines of its creation, this piece of shit took 12 days to make and was a rescue attempt as the original development had been handed to someone originally that was unable to deliver it for whatever reason that may be. Maybe they didn't have the skills. Maybe they didn't have what they said they had. Who knows? But the job of the people hiring such people is generally to make sure they have the skills to develop, deliver on what they say. And having a good eye for talent obviously is not necessarily the key ingredient to hiring the right people. I would suggest a robust interview process and skill-based assessment of their, of their understanding of the very thing you want them to do. Without that, you're relying on the very goodwill of the rest of the people at Ocean who stepped up, I have to say. Now, I don't like what they've done here, and I'm, and I'm going to separate the product because of the nature of what had to happen to make this product happen. So the people that, made, that did end up making this were all brought into an office, and this is all based off an article that I think you linked us to, which was written by one of the guys that made this. Mm-hmm. Okay, And it's a, it's a retrospective look at the problems that occurred with this particular game because they never looked at the reviews. And when this guy looked back over the reviews, he was horrified to say, hang on a minute, even I know that game was crap. So how on earth did it get a score like that? And I'll come to a little bit of the nuances around that in a moment. But So the story of this, to summarize the article, is that um, the head of Ocean, whatever his name was, I forget, I'm not going to start name-dropping people, but the person who was in charge of this project this was all linked and tied into a big license deal that had to happen or they were going to have a massive clawback of money and you know pay potential fines. So this game had to be delivered one way or another. The original person that was delivering it, as I've said, couldn't do it. So there was an emergency meeting held. Three of the guys, John Megan included, and the others and the graphics guys, Robert, and we've got 12 days to turn this game around from now where it's at to a fully complete product that's going to be duplicated. You know, We've got to have the duplicate master in wherever it was in 12 days, or at least that's the development timeline that's indicated in the article. 12 days to produce this, and it shows. Uh-huh. What, this is what you get if you give good quality, kind-hearted developers who probably put in way more hours than are required at that time in those 12 days. So I suspect this was 12 long, 20-hour days plus. You give them the challenge of pulling you out of this shit because this was an ocean over-promise and an under-deliver in a massive way, and it nearly came back to bite them. So what mm-hmm. they ended up doing is producing this game in that time frame and taking out all the things that would have made this a decent follow-up. In fact, they basically they just jury-rigged bits of what they had in terms of other bits of code together through some graphics there very quickly and some other stuff to make it into kind of a quasi version of the game. Maybe some of the hardware might work together. We don't know. They didn't have much. They're clearly 12 days. You don't have time to test anything. This was pushed out of Ocean's door unfinished. This is not a finished product, really. This is an unfinished product. Now, around the edges, you know, I guess, and before I go into the article, around the edges, you know, the music and some of the sounds are actually okay. Some of the music in it's all right because that's Matthew Cannon. He can... Now, and what I want to say is that the people who did produce the items that are in this game did the best they could. I don't doubt that in that time, knowing full well that this was crap mm-hmm. and knowing full well that this was a, you know, this was a fool's errand. But at the same time, you know, they've got mortgages and families and livelihoods to think about. And so this is, you know, this is their bread and butter, you know. So, you know, I'm not taking anything away from those people who had to do what they had to do. But this is 
far, 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 far from the arcade and does that classic thing that you should never do, like I said, over-promises and under-delivers. That's Ocean's fault. Even if the controls were better and you had a crosshairs, this game would be shit anyway. But, you know, the developers are under no illusion about that. So there's two questions that sort of spring to mind based on this. Two clear questions. Why was this released at all? Because it's a rubbish piece of shit. You know, why didn't Ocean just have the courage to stand up and say, we need either we need more time or... And I know there's all sorts of licensing shenanigans and I know that's not the business model and I get all of that. But if you're releasing this in this state you're, and you're releasing this as a, something that's going to be selling the Commodore 64 to people, you are ripping people off because you're, it's, a, it's, a false, it's a false presentation of the C64. It's mm-hmm. a false presentation of that game. People get excited. Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's Operation Underbolt, big arcade, makes it look really exciting. All the marketing materials make it look really good. And this game is nothing like any of the screens or anything that was put out there and there's a reason for that. So that brings us to the second question then. If we, if, you know, why was it released? Because Ocean would have been, you know, would have faced serious penalty clauses for not releasing it because it was mm-hmm. tied to so many licenses, licensed products. Fine. Why did Zap review this so high when they'd never even played it? That is the killer question, I think. I don't here. know. Yeah. Now, famously, this scored, um, what was it, 92% on the C64. Mm-hmm. And the screens that are in the review in the magazine and the effusive comments from the people in there, or generally effusive comments, where that this was really great, it looked really amazing, blah, 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 blah. They gave it a glowing review. Now, this was a glowing review. But the screens that are in the magazine are not the same as the ones that are in the game. It's not the same game. And there's a reason for that, because it's not the same product. So according to this um, chap, and what was his name? I forget the name of the it's chap Paul, that wrote the article. Paul Hughes. So according to Paul Hughes, in his open and honest and candid article, which we'll link to in the show notes, and according to Paul, um, the Zap team were brought into Ocean headquarters and were shown preview screens now there was obviously some preview screen work that had been done by the original programmer of this and that's the version that got scrapped because in actuality it wasn't a functional thing it was a rolling demo of a few screens that kind of looked apart but that was it oceans in ocean had brought zap into the zap reviewers into the ocean headquarters whatever that was the dungeon i believe they call it and they'd shown them this you know shown them this in a giddy exciting but they'd never played it they never picked up a joystick and according to paul hughes they never even got a version of it to review as far as i'm aware or anything so the review that's in Zap is complete falsehood. It's a complete lie. They never, they never played that game. They never played the C64 version. They never played the version that was ever, was output in the end because they couldn't have done. Never had it. So they based that entire review, two pages of review, and all the percentage scores and all the commentary was based on a short, unplayed demo version of this game that never actually got put into production anyway. That's that's terrible. That's really shocking, isn't it? To think that mm-hmm. a, in a magazine with such a high profile and prestigious past as Zap. One that um, has all of the sort of people, you know, has a, a really big following and, and a, people really believe in the reviews. I mean, rightly or wrongly, you know, we've been picking them apart a bit, but people really believed in Zap. I mean, I, when, I was, when I was buying Zap, I really took, you know, I took their review seriously. If, I, if they said a game was crap, I generally avoided it. If they said a game was good, I'd have probably put it on my radar. Luckily, you know, by the time piracy yeah. came along, it never really happened. But there's people out there that weren't as fortunate as me to have contacts all over and piracy and all the rest of it all that kind of thing some people went out and bought Commodore 64s and bought this game at full price thinking that Zappa said it's okay look at the screens in the magazine it's okay it must be good when it was a complete lie I think that shows a disgraceful contempt for the audience that had supported them to get them where they were at this point what are we episode what what issue is this of Zappa it's issue what is it 57 so 57 issues of Zap where you've had the full and thorough support of all those fans and C64 fans and all the games and everything else. And you know, people had your back in this. 
And you repay that by lying to the very audience that supported you. I think that's so contemptible. I think it's disgusting. Now, I didn't buy Zap at this point. And I have to say, if I had found, if I'd have been in the situation where I had bought that and bought that game based on their review, I would have never have bought Zap again. And that, I think this damaged their reputation because, of course, the truth of this eventually came out. Came out. So Paul, in his article, makes it very clear that the Zap review cannot have been the game that finally came out. This was based on a, some some unplayable preview. They never played it, and yet it, they claimed that they did, and it was all wonderful. And then later on, they re-reviewed the game in Zap. Much you know, a few issues down when it's uh, I think it must be out on budget, and so they re-review the game, and then they give it fifty seven percent, I think, in that review. But uh, uh, even then, even then, in this in the lower review, even then in the blurb of the review. They still have the audacity to make out that the original version they saw was some kind of faulty version and that, no, it wasn't quite the same, you know, and the version we saw wasn't this. And it's like, you know full well what happened. You went down to Ocean HQ, you saw a preview, and then you based an entire review on that, gave them a golden, you know, a golden glowing review because you were given an incentive to do that, or at least you were threatened in some way to do that. There is absolutely no way it can be anything else. Which also proves a number of things that we've mentioned all the way through all of this, isn't it? As we've progressed through all of the various zaps for this podcast, we've watched it, you know, teams change, churn with employees, different review styles. I get all of that. But out and out lying to people, that is wrong. That is wrong. People paid money for that magazine and they really bought into the reviews. I don't think they ever recovered. For me, it would never. they would never be able to recover from the damage that that review did. And I think they even get picked apart in Lloyd's letters like, forever after this. It's always mentioned. It still resonates now. And even our own Patreons brought this to our attention way before we even got to this game, saying, wait till you get to Operation Thunderbolt and the controversy that surrounds it. There's an entire section about this in games that weren't because of the nature of the game that wasn't. There's an entire article, like I said, written about it. We'll link to all those in the show notes. You go and do your research, read those, make up your own mind. I made my mind up about Ocean some time ago. I have had a feeling that they were an unscrupulous developer when Robocop was released broken and all the other things that we've come across over time. So many, so many silly things, so many mistakes, odd reviews in Zap, magazine covers, marketing promotions and sponsorship. I get it. Well, that's the business of games, fine. But lying to your audience, I'm sorry, that's unforgivable. So the final thing I'll say about this, you know what? The ocean developers that we used, you know, they saved they saved Ocean's ass in this. You know, yes, o- Ocean dropped the ball, and they saved them by producing this thing. But they were under no illusion of what they did, and they didn't read the reviews. They didn't need to. They knew. But this, you know, for this to get the kind of reviews and to affect all those and, and be used to sell to innocent people on behalf of Ocean, that's a shitty thing to do. And then to zap to then then quantify that with a good review, that's reprehensible. You're all guilty of ripping people off one way or another when you did that. Mm-hmm. And you're all complicit in that. And I don't think that's something that's I think we should ever, you know, we should ever look back and think this was no, thank God that they did this or that and the other. This is a category one disaster for a magazine of this type, in my in my opinion. These are my opinions. And yes, I'm open to be challenged about it. I'm just going by the evidence of what I see and from the people that made the game and by the game that I played. Reprehensible practice all around, Adrian. It's not very nice, is it? What did you think about all that? Uh, well, not much more to add to what you said. I'm, I'm interested in more about what was said in the re-review. It got 45% in the re-review uh, later well, in. I, I overscored it myself. You see. did. Rubs um, off and, and just just to sort of read out what they put in that, in that re-review, considering what we know from the Paul Hughes article, um, so this is what, yeah. uh, October 91. So this is a year and a half later. Um, it says, 
Thunderbolt got a whopping 92%, my first reviewed in issue 57. But the version reviewed was one we saw on an ocean visit. Now, Paul, who states that Zap came along and saw it, but they never played it. So they're yes. stating there that they never played it. They didn't see it. Yeah. They didn't have it in-house to review. So there's the proof that yeah. you know, th- this is Zap saying we never got it. Now, it also says there's lots of stuff in the wrap at the time. I've not read any of the, com- the letters. I might have a look through the letters after this. I couldn't um, find in any the, in there, in the pre- but that's, in the next month, there's a few. It'd probably be in the next few months, yeah, I'm imagining. Um, so... So uh, was reviewed when we saw an ocean visit. Unfortunately, during this is bunkum. Unfortunately, during the process of taking it off their development systems and putting it on tape, apparently insoluble probe problems arose. Nice. The programming team were pulled off the project. Yeah, okay, that's true. And a new bunch of guys knocked this effort the out for time. Yeah, so that's true as well. I mean, that's right. Not to say who, yeah. but it bore little resemblance to the original program at all. So. There's, there's literally written in the magazine that they never saw it. They never played it. They, and the, the, yep. co- you, you collate that with the Paul Hughes blog, and it's Zap came down. They saw some things. And the screens aren't the same. So they, they obviously yep. had some screens from this preview version, um, and they made it into the review. And if you read the comments in the review, it's interesting to read the comments because the first comment, um, uh, what's it say, on the graphics front, it's all extremely attractive. This is the C64 version. Let me go to one where it's talking specifically about the C64 version. What drew me to the C64 game with the great enemy sprites, with a lot more shade and detail about them than the stick figures in Wolf. They move real fast as well. No, they don't. None of that's right. Um, For the C64, which had a great Wolf conversion, the sequel offers dramatically improved graphics, playability, in short, double the gameplay and double the action. Amazing. No, we don't. Graphics for the C64 version got 90%. I mean, it's just nonsense. There's barely any... And I'm not knocking what was knocked up in 12 days. No, I can no, imagine no. knocking Same. something together in 12 days on a, on a Commodore 64 to do something like this would be a bloody nightmare. So I'm not knocking what they did, but you just call what it is. It's crap. It's a it's crap because it's crap. You can't do anything about crap. It is it's just utter shit. Um, and it plays terribly. Yep. And half those problems come from obviously from Tato not allowing them to have a um, you know a crosshair, which is, should have should have allowed for home computer versions. When how do you know where you're shooting? Um, you know, God knows. What do you do? What do you, it's just really bad. It's just a, a terrible, terrible thing. That's just a, a terrible, terrible game. And you get the ninety two percent. And it's just, you know, I'm guessing you know, Ocean are threatening to pull advertising or something went on. There's something going on here. This is a big push to sell these big bundles. You'd be well, yep. you'd be well ripped off. I am going to go look at. We'll probably talk about this next next week because I'm going to go look at some of the letters and see what was sent in and see mm. what was said by the magazine in response. Because I think this, because Lloyd, obviously Lloyd Mangram is not a real person. He's an anagram, a Lloyd anagram, but mm. we know this sort of thing. So this is obviously the, mag- the people that write in the magazine. Something's gone on here. It's really weird. And I don't know, but you know, it's just truly hideous thing. It's just broken on all, all fronts. Everything around the Operation Thunderbolt, review, score, game, everything. Mm. It's a it's a, a really bad indictment of the practices um, of both magazines and the software houses of the time. Terrible. There you go. Yeah, it is terrible. And the latest, I mean, in the letters that I read, that when I was just scooting through, the theme I picked up, and this is prior to the mention, any mention to do with Operation Thunderbolt. There's already a thread in theme in there of your overscoring, what's going on. You can see that the the people are starting to question the um, starting to question the rationale of some of these scores and starting to question the, the you know the, what's going on because it's starting to thread through into the you know there's I mean aside from the why you you know why are you giving Amiga games these kind of scores what's the preference blah blah you know the usual stuff there is a thread in there of that this this, this disgruntled thread of you know, how are these games getting such high percentages now say what you think about that you know you know when we've done this podcast we've played. You know, some of these games, we call them out for what they are. 
there is no way on anyone's radar that Operation Thunderbolt was 92%. We'd be looking if it was 12% for me. Mm. It's really... But then I don't think that would come as any surprise to anyone that's played it. For a game that took 12 days to make, of course it looks crap. It looks like a game that took 12 days to make. So 12 is what you'd get. So. Yeah. In a week of shit conversions, it takes the prize. Yep, it does. So hot contenders. Yeah, there's a lot of contenders for awards for the end of the year at the beginning of the Already, year. Already, yeah, normally, yeah. They're normally, they're normally at the end, but there yeah. you go. We've got one for best game and we've got many for worst. Crap cake conversions. Mm. Anyway, there you go. That's Operation Thunderbolt. What a thing. What a thing. Yeah, it, what it, a thing. Did, just ask a question sort of thing. When we started this podcast way back, you know, we had the idea mm. and we started it. We didn't know what the later, I, you know, I didn't know these things well. Did you think this is where it was going to go? It's weird, isn't it? I never had any indication no. or sort of inclination that... This is the kind of stuff I just thought we'd be looking at some games and the reviews match them, but there's weird stuff going on, isn't there? What going on? There's been some revelations with doing this podcast. And I tell you some of the key ones. The key well, two. One is that I didn't realise how inconsistent the Zap reviews had become because I'd stopped buying Zap and the era where I bought Zap, I really bought into them and I never questioned them. And it's made, this is making me question and thinking, oh my God, were they how much how many of those review scores were based on this kind of, you know, what they saw as in a back office and three minutes, you know, while they was having a cup of coffee with, you know, somebody, or they saw it over the, you know, in the rearview mirror of somebody's car as he was driving down the road. <laughs> the other thing it's made me question more heavily, actually, I always held companies like Ocean in quite high regard. Um, you know, I always thought, I've always, I always, up to this point, I'd considered them as kind of a bit of a benchmark of quality. I don't know why, I just kind of did. And, I, and, well, I, and that I, that's story completely been fed. unpicked. That's the story yeah. that's been fed through, exactly. not just the time, but... Since but yep. books and films and documentaries and stuff, you watch them and you go, oh, these, oh, no no shenanigans. And I think they had a lot of really well-meaning people who they treated quite, you know, they, they basically just got them to pump games out. And I don't think that's the way you should treat people. There's some really good talented people in there that were never really able to explore that talent properly, I think. And they really bailed them out of the shit with this particular incident. And I don't doubt it that it won't be the last time it happens, you know. What a, what a tragedy. And they carry on producing stuff for other consoles. So that's what really winds me up. So this isn't the C64 isn't the end of Ocean, is it? They could carry on into other platforms, you know. So this this mm. sorry saga of nonsense will probably continue into loads of others where they're just creating average games, ripping people off. They've got their business model, haven't they? And that's been a that's been a bit of an eye opener for me. And it's not just Ocean. There's quite a few like that. And where I've gone, where where the games that have some of the companies have solidified that reputation for me. Thalamus, I always thought Thalamus had a good reputation with games, and they've not really ever let me down with that. No. Um, and System Three, to an extent, Mark Gale's crazy antics and writings aside, their games have had a consistency, and I'll always have time for some of them. But Gremlin and Ocean and US, US Gold, Gold and um, there's a whole bunch of them. No, um, they're just no, they're just I, you know, I didn't realize how many crap games they were responsible for until we've done this, and well, and I'm realizing it now. Goodness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are. So there you go. That's that's January over. What games we looked at though this week? Well, we looked at Retrograde, which was so far above the rest in quality, it might have as well been looking down from Olympus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> literally. Then we had Dragon Spirit. No, that wasn't very good. Ninja Warriors. Sorry, Pictionary, that wasn't very good. Ninja Warriors, that wasn't very good. Double Dragon 2, that wasn't very good. And Operations Underbolt, which was just a farce, all told. Mm. Just crazy stuff going on there. But we're not done, though. We're not done. There are a couple of crapverts for us to look at. There are indeed. Oh, Ubisoft. Interesting. Oh, gosh. What, <laughs> what is that? 
What's I don't this know. Twin world. Twin world with I can. I, it's like I don't know. Is that Jester from Limmy's show? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is what? it? What's wrong with his arms? I don't, What's, I, what is this? That looks like that's been pieced together from different people. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the legs don't match the body. The body doesn't match the arms. The arms don't match the head at all. That's that's definitely dif- different people bolted together. Yep. And none of it works. It's basically what we're looking at here is some kind of fantasy thing where there's a. I don't know what what is it? It's like a an leprechaun elf. or an elf or something in the center in kind of an air, a very airbrush tree while some weird monsters go down and nothing nothing looks right. Nothing looks yeah. good. There's some kind of weird bulbous palace in the background, like minarets <laughs> and stuff. And it's called Twin World with a and it's got a dragon going through. It's just rubbish. <laughs> they've they've yeah, tried, about, but they've gone all yeah. wrong. Yeah, because the the Twin World logo is indescribable because it's just it's a mess. It looks like someone drew it with a glue gun. Um, <laughs> oh, it's melted. The, dra- it's melted the dragon on the, is on the printer. The, the dragon in the background is a, looks like a pterodactyl to me. It looks like a dinosaur. It does look like it's actually, got, yeah, it's a pterodactyl, not a dragon. Sorry, yeah. yes, forgive me. And it's a pterodactyl. The, the cast the cast in the background is the is the Emerald Castle from what looks like the Wizard of Oz. Yes. Um, yeah. Good. In the yeah, foreground, probably. you've got the the happy midget in front of his tree. Looks like he's making a ball hover. I think I don't know. Um, I don't know quite when he's wearing he's resplendent in his his green short two short green tunic and <laughs> red tights if his tunic had been in his short would have seen his dangleberries right there would have, been right would have, there. Would have his, seen his elf juice his, his, his elf berries would have been right there wouldn't he and then he's been menaced by would have seen his twin worlds <laughs> he's been menaced by what I'm not even sure how you describe them it's like a Venus flytrap but with human teeth which is really weird. I don't know what they even are. Yeah. Um, the one I don't the bottom, know. Just to, just, to, just to the bottom of his right sort of thing, looks like vagina dentata to me. It, yeah, exactly that. It is, yeah, there's definitely a, you know, yeah, there is. I'm not even going to go any further. <laughs> yeah. um, and, then, and then just really in the mid-ground, mid-foreground, sort of mid it's just like a house. It's just like it's, a roof of a house. <laughs> well, it's the landscape. It's like a landscape going off towards the castle, isn't there? Which is, yeah, it's just really a lake weird. And stuff. What's, what's that yellow thing coming out of the green thing's eye on the right? Uh, I don't know. It, they're all a bit weird. I don't know. He's got a weepy eye, and that's, I'm not even sure that's a good thing. Um, and I don't know who that guy with the beard is, but he can't ever be happy that his face was used for that. <laughs> no. No. Uh, no, it's it's utterly terrible. Their logo is really weird as well. It's like a in golden, gold embossed Pac-Man on top of a Sendor. Yeah. I don't know what that means. It's just, what is this rubbish? I don't know. No. The Crapvert. It's a classic Crapvert. It's a classic. It looks like it's, isn't it an Amiga game? It looks like it's Amiga or something. Uh, yeah, probably is. available on the ST and Amiga, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we have one more, if you'd like to scroll down. <laughs> oh, goodness me. <laughs> what is it with these Rambo-type covers we've got? It's, it's like, he's been caught as he was after have a shit. <laughs> he is definitely caught. He's caught short there, isn't he? He's, he's just he's just stood a poop in his pants like that for yeah, sure. This is this is after the war. Um, yeah. So we've got a sort of devastated landscape with the the the, the Statue of Liberty is in completely the wrong place. It's in the middle of the yeah. city, and it's way too um, tall as well. And it's way too tall. We've got de- demolished buildings. We've got a uh, sort of in the background. We've got like just your sort of typical sort of late eighties, early nineties street punks from things like Class yeah. of Newcomb High and things like that, and all those kind yeah. of stuff. Cobra, but Centre stage is our hero. I guess he's our hero. And he's holding a big um, sort of M16 or something, big gun in the trailer. But he's he's crouching like he's he's having he's, he's, and he's looking at the screen like he's you know he's been caught short and and we've he caught is. him go, going short. Whilst the that's what they're all screaming about in the background. Well, that that man you just referred to there, agent. That's Jungle Rogers. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's according according to his <laughs> that's Jungle blurb. Rogers. Yeah, oh yeah, that's Jungle Rogers. Yeah. 
boss of the urban jungle. And when you've got no- clearly this 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 guy has just watched a series of films, and you can kind of spot them: Planet of the Apes, RoboCop, yeah. Mad Max, and yeah. Escape from New York. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. He's watched those films, and every single one of those, he's kind of oh, and Commando. Yeah, every also, single one of those is in there. But also on the right, this is some kind of spaceship type craft thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a two hundred nine. It's a two hundred nine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that's RoboCop. Yeah. Oh, this yeah, is called mixed, After the mixed, War yeah. with a dreadful logo at the top. Oh, that logo with the the Star Spangled, you know, f- banner, American flag. And then um, the massive green stroke a, around it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the crime there. It's like they've put a green felt stroke around it and then put a stroke on that. Never double stroke. <laughs> no, ever, in any situation. I'm just saying, careful of the double stroke. Double stroking is never a good thing, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> And then you've got that flame background, and then you've just got nondescript, muscular men in pants just pointing. <laughs> what they're doing, I don't know. No, the... Yeah, you haven't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just noticed they've not got any trousers on. Yeah, they're just, you know, pant, pant people. Pant. In the future, some people just wear pants. That's what I'm learning from that. What would remain after a nuclear war? Rubble, ashes, pants. misery, destruction, armed thugs, powerful criminals, mad scientists, depraved murderers, and a man, Jungle Rogers. Yep. Boss of the Urban Jungle. When there's nothing else worth fighting for, you have to fight for your life by taking yep. a poo in the middle of the street. Yeah, he's run out of bullets any time now as well because <laughs> he's going to work his way through. He's got a little trail of bullet, a bullet belt coming out of his ridiculous machine gun, yeah. which isn't going to help him because there's a guy there. There's loads of guys around him. He ain't got enough bullets to kill all them, let alone Ed 209 up there. And angry pant man's pointing. Something tells me he doesn't want him for his bullets. <laughs> he's got other plans for uh, Jungle Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or, saying, or he could be saying don't do a poo there because it's like not there that's the train track <laughs> yeah they're on the train track aren't they oh dear <laughs> yeah. um an old mohican guy on the right is like clutching Ugh. his club and well, he's really yelling that guy that's, that's not the, the mad max 2 guy that's the mad max 2 guy so yeah, he's from mad max 2 he's totally from mad that max guy. 2 yeah. yeah and i'm trying to wonder what the pant pant people are from what what film are they from where are pant um the underpant people. I don't know. Zardoz, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> maybe um, Zardoz. But he's yeah. also, it looks like he's holding a newspaper in the same angry that the guy in the Grange Hill <laughs> intro did. <laughs> <laughs> the but sausage is going to fly in a minute. Sausage! <laughs> I think we will be looking at this game. Yeah, don't doubt it. It, it comes out on the C64. Let's see if it's reviewed in Zap. Yeah. After I mean, the, the war, the na- it's on there. Well, is it reviewed by Zap, though? Oh, it is. Uh, issue 60. We, Three months' time, uh, we'll be looking at this. We're going to be playing. I mean... His anatomy on the main character isn't bad, albeit that he's doing a you know. Oh dunk. yeah, there's some yeah. Overall, but, the drawings are all right, but it's just. And a I, I like collage. the ligature on his, and that, the way they've done the bandage on him. So he's got, he's clearly got a finger bandage on. So he obviously cut his finger really badly at some point, and they've just <laughs> put put it around his fingers. Like, oh, we'll just wrap it around. You haven't got time to do that in field dressings. To just carefully wrap it around your little fingers and do delicate work. Wrap it round and round and round and round and round and put it on with a pin. Come on, field dressings. This is the, this is a future jungle, urban jungle. You don't have time to just stop for a. No, a quiet medic. Jungle Ridiculous. Rogers finds time. Yeah, exactly. And he clearly didn't shoot any of those bullets around him, did he? Because there's no bullet casings, which there'd be loads of, by the way, if you stood there firing bullets at everybody. And he's yeah. pointing the wrong way and looking in the wrong direction. He's been caught he's doomed. short. He has. He's just, you know, he's just, he has, you know, he's done a Tom Tit in his trousers, hasn't he? <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm touching cloth. I've got to go. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And they're all going, no, not on the train line. <laughs> the train won't run. <laughs> they don't need any excuse not to run. Please on the train. We shit on the train. Ed 209, please put down your weapon and do not take a shit on our train line. (laughs) 
You have 20 seconds to comply. It's it's too late. (laughs) Turtle's head's out. (laughs) Uh, His face does say that, doesn't it? His face says the turtle's popped his head out there. (laughs) Absolutely. That is the face of that. He's like, oh, oh." he's got the teeth grit. You know, when you, if you, if you've ever been in that situation, you 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 grit your teeth together. Oh, no. Oh, uh." he's he's at that stage. It's nearly there. It's nearly, it's nearly, it's absolutely. The Death Star's nearly cleared the planet, shall I say, shall we say? (laughs) You've nearly dropped the kids off. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, let's get onto a chart. What was the, this chart is madness. Have you seen this chart? <laughs> yes. Look at it. Like goodness me, what? It's according okay. to according to uh, Commodore user for the for the month of January 1990. Everything is a new entry. So <laughs> what is going on with that? So number ten, a new entry, Shinobi. Number nine, new entry, Cabal. Number eight, new entry, Crazy Cars. No, it's not. That's been number one. Number seven, no. new entry, Drunk Car Racer. No. Six, Ghosts and Goblins. These are all new entries. I'm not going to stay anymore. No. Untouchables at number five. Power Drift at number four. Robocop at number three. Paperboy at number two. Encore and Batman the Movie at number one. There's some dreadful right. things in that one. There really is. Um, going down from number 11, new entry at number 11 is Cobra. Uh, that's a re-release. Okay. That's uh, down from number 1 to number 12 is Rampage. What? Uh, I don't know. Down from number 5 to 13 is 100% Dynamite. Okay. compilation. Yeah. Uh, Nigel Mansell's Grand Prix is down to 14. Um, okay. Up from 64 <laughs> to 15. Hey. It's just gone crazy. Um, it's Continental it Circus. A new entry at 16 okay. with Whizball. Down to okay. number 17 from 12 is Barbarian. Up from number 57 <laughs> to number 18 is Short Circuit. Mm, Down yeah, from number budget. 2 to 19 is Strider. And up from number 41 to 20 is Father Christmas. <laughs> what the hell's that? Don't know. Don't want to know. Uh, I think they're this making it the up. I swear they're making it up. I know. Uh, I don't know. It's just madness. Just, just madness. Right, uh, February, February. I think February is a three uh, three episode month. It's oh, quite a lot okay. of games. There's a few games wow, we've okay. got. So uh, for the C64, we've got Ballistics. Okay, Beverly Hills Cop. About that. Oh no, that's Never. not going to be good, is it? Uh, no. Blue Angel. Blue Angel. Never heard of it. Then a Bushido. Mm, that was nope. that crap there with the uh, symmetrical. Oh, God, it was. Yeah, I don't um, think that's going to be good. No, Chase HQ. Okay, no. Um, Dead End. Never heard of that. Extra time. I don't know. That's going to be some crap football, game. football thing, isn't it? Probably. Yep. Um, football of the year. That's football of the year. We played that already. I don't know. We must have done. I, think, I believe we have. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Ghostbusters two. Oh no. <laughs> uh, Iron Lord. If we see that, it might be a strategy one. So we might not look at that one. Um, mm. It came from the desert. Actually, he's reviewed in this issue as well. Next month. It is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then we've got Maze Mania. Yeah, that sounds riveting. Mega Nova. Okay. Shark. Okay. The shark. Sim City. That'd be interesting. It nice. is. Supposedly, um, I was reading around. And by the way, the uh, just to sort of, just as a little footnote sort of thing, the article, the Paul Hughes article for Operations Underbolt, 
was sent to me by uh, Lee Dove on our Patreon. So uh, I was going to say, I know our Patreons had made us quite alert. Of, yeah, get, so well give, done, Lee, for that. Yeah, yeah, give them some credit there. Um, SimCity, and, and also they pointed out that SimCity was originally the C sixty four was the original version. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, we'll find it out, and so we play for that. But they're yeah. a clever Spit, bunch, those patrons. Um, Spitfire forty. Now, Spitfire forty is an, uh, an odd one, I think, because Spitfire forty, I think, is way back. Is a sort of re release of one that we would have looked at in issue three, but we never okay. did. So we're going to pick it up now. There you go. Street Fighter, that's a re-release. Um, and Tubin. Okay. That's it. That's what we've got for the next three weeks. Okay. Or the next some, three episodes, whatever they may be. Some more mystery games to reveal themselves to see what they are. Yeah, I know. But we'll see. But there's not oh, much well. in the way of uh, high-scoring games. There's no Sizzlers or gold medals. Drag- Dragon Wars. Actually, Dragon Wars. Did I mention that one? That got a Sizzler. Mm. Oh, that is. Um, that's one we missed. But there's nothing. Oh, Space Rogue. Did I mention Space Rogue? Space Rogue. That's in there. That's a gold medal. <laughs> there we go. Space Rogue. Some big 3D okay. space thing filled in 3D yeah, space yeah. thing. It's the people that made um um they made the oh, what game? They made a really big um, RPG game. What was the big RPG? Times of Law, I think it's them guys. Did they it? do that? Oh, okay. Yeah. Could be it's interesting. The Times of Law guys, I think. Got a gold medal. It don't mean anything. It would surprise What was because Times of Law was by what's his face, wasn't it? The guy who went on to do Wing Commander, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Chris Time, I think it's the times. Yeah, I think it's the times of law people. So it wouldn't surprise me if it is Sims because that's just, yeah. that's space stuff. Wing Commander. There you go. Whatever but now it's called. the, the Zap space scores stuff. are kind of irrelevant, aren't they? You know, because we never know whether they're truthful or not because they've lied. So <laughs> yeah, true. Who knows? Who knows where they yeah. got a, that score from? So that's it. Um, if you want to support us, you can do that. You can do it over to uh, patreon.com forward slash Zap to the Past and. Join our ever-growing band of supporters. This is always cool. Mm. Get access to the episodes early and ad-free. Um, join our Discord. Get chats on there. Get sort of uh, challenges and high score tables and things like that. And just a you general can. good vibe. Get to ask us questions for our Ask the Podcast. Get to submit your votes and stuff for our Breadbin Awards and things like that. So if you want to go over there, do that. That's the price of a sandwich or a pint of beer or something. Patreon.com forward slash up to the past. Leave us a Kofi. Or coffee on kofi.com forward slash up to the past um or you know reach out on twitter or x sorry on facebook it's all cool it's all good um and that's about it um anything more to add on this episode this no i think we've you know we've given lots of people some food for thought go and read the articles that we put in the show notes and stuff make your own mind up about things see what you think but no more to add than that indeed um and on that note i think we'll call it a day so hmm. i have been adrian mills and i have been graham raddings and you have been listening to Zapped to the past, where our views are always honest. We will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zapped to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. 
The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.